Like all great artists, I want to create one indisputable masterpiece by presenting you episode 009 of A Review to a Kill, which is a look back on the James Bond film franchise presented to you by fanboysanonymous.com. This time around, we're talking about the man with the golden gun. I am your host, the man with the blue Yeti X microphone, Tony Manko, <laughs> but I'm not by myself because unlike some other jobs, podcasting isn't the loneliest profession. Nope. I've got my peanut-toting friend back here, Robert D. Felice. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Scaramango. <laughs> also, we're joined by... Now, wait a second. I know you. You're that co-host. That English co-host from England. <laughs> it's Callum Wiggins, everybody. <laughs> what the hell is Fuyak? <laughs> oh man this is uh we're on the trip i told you before once we got to um diamonds are forever we're we're sailing in a weird direction with this franchise and it's happening we are I, talking I, about I, I, I have to say just before you get your head started with the that was a hell of an effort at the start of it <laughs> kind of applaud that one a little bit <laughs> I'd like to yeah. say I did that off the top of my head, but I didn't. I wrote that out. <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, I, it, this is such a fun series to break down. I hope everybody else is having as much fun as we are. If you are, drop a comment below. Let us know. Um, obviously, of course, tell us your opinions about this movie as well uh, in the comments section, just to get uh, a lot of that stuff out of the way ahead of time. If you are leaving a comment on the YouTube side of things, make sure that you're subscribed to the channel. You know, a lot of people, they pop up, they aren't necessarily subscribed, or they are, they and they uh, in their mind, subscribed, but sometimes YouTube glitches out a little bit like that. So double check, ring that little notification bell as well, because then you'll be aware of when these videos get posted and other things get posted here. Hit the like button if you like this, you know, that'll help us out with the SEO. Hit the uh, share button if you got anybody who you think might want to check this podcast out. And if you think that these episodes, you know, we're giving you these once a week, uh, so four times a month, and some other content as well on Fanboys and on Smartcat Moment. If you are, uh, you're getting something out of it, consider donating a dollar to the Patreon. Uh, I think that that goes a long way. It also is just a motivational boost for us just to go, hey, you know what? Actually, people really do enjoy this quite a bit, so... You know, uh, if you think we're worth a dollar of your uh, money per month, go ahead and do that. I think that we're pretty much worth that. Uh, it, we might not charge a million a shot, but you know, I think a buck a month is pretty good. Uh, the other stuff, of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Follow all of our accounts. Uh, you can see them in the description below. Um, check out some merchandise, Tee Public and Redbubble. It's a good way to help us out, too. So if you got the spare change and you want to pick up a t-shirt or something like that, that's another way to do that. Uh, and if you do feel so inclined to uh, join the higher tiers of the Patreon, there are the dark casts and there are the pick your poison tiers and there's other things that are happening there. If you want any more information, let me know. I will uh, drop you some kind of a comment response or whatever it might be. Anyway, we are nine films deep in the series of a 25 film franchise plus some spinoff type things that are kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe at some point if you guys really, really want it and you guys uh, hit up the pick your poison tier, maybe we'll watch like the James Bond jr. Animated series or something. That's another thing where I was just like, you know, that might be kind of cool. Man. I don't remember even seeing more than one or two episodes of that, but how are you guys at this point looking at the series as a whole in comparison to 
what it was at the beginning of this. Because now this is the first time actually in several movies that this is the second time somebody's playing Bond. We went from Connery doing a bunch of movies. Then we went Lazenby, Connery, Moore. So now it's like, okay, now we're we're in more territory here. I think that as this movie goes on and different people play Bond, it's starting to feel very Bugs Bunny to me. <laughs> Where, all right, and in this episode, he's in Spain, and he's been in Spain all his life, and shut up and roll. Like, <laughs> that, that's what this feels like to me. Also, as these movies go on, it's very easy to just go... Yeah, Lazenby was the one movie. That's why he got married, and then we don't we don't hear about it ever again, because that's just an outlier. But I, I will say, as it stands, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't really say too much beyond just like enjoying the series in general. Even the bad movies have funny stuff to talk about, so that's worthwhile at the very least. I just in the sense of this movie in particular, I was surprised. Again, this is like something I said earlier about how we're entering like the more era of the Bond movie. So I thought you've got to look at that very, very differently to basically any other iteration of the Bond character. But I was surprised watching this how much of a Bond movie it felt like. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite Bond films. It's admittedly not a great movie. Like there is no question this is not winning any Oscars or anything I mean, outside for maybe like you know. Uh, uh, set design or, you know, one of those, like, technical, you know, sound editing, whatever. You're saying, you're saying Nick Nack couldn't win Best Sporting Actor? I mean, he could have. He's pretty great. <laughs> but, yeah. and Nick uh, Nack was fantastic. But, like, this movie is so fun, and it's just an easy watch for me to the point that if I rank the movies based off of quality, it's not going to be in, in the, you know, the S-tier type of thing. But if I rank them based off of just pure enjoyment, this is very high up for me. I've watched this movie more than a lot of the other ones. It's not GoldenEye level, but it's, I'd say, like, maybe, maybe, like, my fifth favorite Bond film or so. It's a very complete film. It's enjoyable and it's a good action movie like even it would be isolated from the rest of the series this is an easy to watch 70s action film and yeah i think honestly this was a remarkable step up from <laughs> the last movie yeah it, it's well put together it's got a very clear coherent st story throughout it. it's got an excellent villain which obviously we'll talk about all those different elements about it it's Again, it borders into the over-ridiculous certain aspects of that, but you kind of have to accept that that's going to always be part of the more franchise. So there are a couple of bits where I feel like, oh, you strayed a little bit too far into the over-ridiculous of Live and Let Die. But overall, a lot of it just felt more like, okay, we liked the humor part, but you did in the last movie. and want to keep some elements of that, but do you mind actually trying to be James Bond? So, foreign language titles? Her. Go ahead. Well, hold on. I have to ask her at the bat. Is this the longest that we've waited to see Bond have sex in a film? Uh, let's see. Uh, so, he definitely with Tracy pretty early. Um, 
Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, assume, I'd assume so. Wow. All right. That's history yeah. right there, folks. Yeah, because it's Love and Let Die opening scene. Uh, you know, Diamonds Are Forever. Didn't take them that long. Uh, wait, how long was it before um, with Goldfinger? No, that Jill Masterson. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty early. Uh, and he's you know, he's got Dink, so you know what's happening there. <laughs> you know, Dink clearly is not there to just put some uh, lotion on or something. Um, yeah. Huh. It's, it's that really that stuck out to me in this film. I was like, huh, he hasn't just had sex for the sake of having sex. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure that will change as Moore's character goes on. So. Yeah, <laughs> there's, uh, I think, maybe the next... Actually, you know what? Maybe every film after this, he might have se- uh, sex in the opening scene. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> like, it might be. <laughs> or at least I mean, close to it. Like, I, I know, like, for instance, uh, A Feet Will Kill, it's like, hey, like, uh, you know... Let's do the sex scene before the, uh, like, pretty much right after the gun barrel and, like, um, Spy Love Me, same kind of thing and all that. So maybe they had that kind of inclination after this one. They were like, you know, it took a little while. How about let's just go right to it, you know? I'll have to uh, keep your eye out on when it comes to that. As far as foreign language titles go, here are some of the ones. Most of them, of course, are just because these are actual, just like normal words. So. They weren't having as much fun with them, which is a shame. It's not like the 007 and the rocket base or whatever. Uh, We've got, for Finland, 007 and the Golden Weapon. For Argentina, Belgium, and a lot of the other ones, the man with the golden revolver. They were really, like, specific that it was a revolver, even though it isn't at all. (laughs) I don't know why they did that. Um, And there's, uh, in Brazil, it's 007 against the man with the golden pistol. It's a mouthful. But I like Portugal's the best. 007 and the Golden Pistol Man. (laughs) (laughs) So we open up with the gun barrel. A very pure gun barrel. Nothing really, like, noteworthy. It's pretty just rock solid. The only other note that I've got for it is this is apparently the last time he's not wearing a tuxedo. And every other one after that, he's wearing a tux. That that's probably for the best, really. Yeah, he looks better when he's wearing a tux like that. And within 30 seconds, because last movie I was like, you know, I think this is the quickest that we've ever gotten introduced to the main Bond girl and the main villain. Within 30 seconds of this, we see Nick Knack, we see Andrea Anders, we see Francisco Scaramanga, and we see his third nipple. <laughs> it's very titillating. <laughs> so they're on an island, which has since become nicknamed James Bond Island because people were like, hey, that's where they uh, they filmed those James Bond movies. The one of them. Hey, Rob, remember when we were watching Batman Soul of the Dragon? Yeah. Remember I was like, is that James Bond Island? <laughs> yeah, I do. There you go. <laughs> I think that that's what they were uh, drawing that based off of. Could they not have thought something more creative than that? If it was seven islands, it'd be great if it could be the 007 islands. But I don't think that there's maybe, seven little ones. The, uh, the Bomuda Triangle. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Thailand. <laughs> go ahead and change it. <laughs> so Nick Knack has this uh, gangster he's brought in named Rodney, who is played by the, I got a brother, guy from Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> That's 
<laughs> that might be the funniest line in the film franchise so far. <laughs> hey, I got the brother. It's hey, the stuff back there. <laughs> so they never clarify if this is the same character. It might be. It might be. We see some recurring characters here. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you've gotten recasting for the same characters, and you've gotten people who could. There, like, there's a couple instances throughout these uh, movies where it's like well, that's the same actor, and they didn't give a different name, and it works. So it's like this could be Rodney because, uh, you know, Rodney. One guy's a Chicago kind of. Uh, or the the Vegas kind of um, gangster, and the other one's a gangster. <laughs> so it's like there, he didn't die in Diamonds Are Forever. Could totally just be him. Uh, another one's going to be Admiral Hargraves when we get to him. That's going to be a very like is that M kind of thing. But he's hired to uh, kill Scaramanga with one of these lines that I've always had stuck in my head. Half you get the rest later. <laughs> And it's uh, a whole training ground type thing with these funhouse mirror effects and trap doors and shit controlled by Nick Knack. What were you guys thinking when you started seeing all this happening? I was like, oh no, it's going to get worse. <laughs> I, I immediately was like, oh, this, we're just going down a rabbit hole here. Uh, didn't turn out that bad. Okay, so for context, people that maybe just haven't seen this. So Nick Knack is a little Asian butler with a French accent. He's uh, Hervé Villachez, the guy who played the uh, assistant to, I forget the Nick character's name, but um, from Fantasy Island, he's the one that goes, De plane, De plane. So some people might recognize him from that. So, so when you see him come out and you see this man with a third nipple, again, <laughs> that, man is, that man is Christopher Lee, and Christopher Lee is a legend. So I got notes about has, him, yeah. Yeah, that has some uh, benefits to it, but it's just, you see a man with a third nipple, you see this fun house thing, and you think, this is going to be bizarre but i was really into this opening sequence and maybe just due to the fact that bomb wasn't in it it feels yeah. like he it feels like again it's just the case of like it almost feels like this is a movie where scaramanga's the main character not bond he's yeah, the man with the gone gun yeah and and they treat him in the way because he's not like like essentially nick has arranged this guy to assassinate him but it's all just some big training montage where he's using his special fun house and all these tricks and stuff like that to intimidate this guy and eventually kill him. And that's essentially what the relationship is that because he's the world's greatest assassin, or at least in his mind, he should be, he needs to keep like focusing his skills and Nick Nack's job is basically to try and kill him every single yeah. time this, these guys come in. Iron sharpens iron kind of a thing. Yeah. And, uh, no, I really liked it. Like one of the parts is like a like a circusy kind of thing with like these like weird mirrored uh effects where it's like you know the door just kind of like pops up and you bump into something thinking that it's a door but it's actually just like a a wall. There's a Western saloon. Uh, there's another mannequin of Al Capone. The gangster shoots and he's like, "Hey Al, Al, wherever you are, don't hold it against me." <laughs> it's, it's it's one of the best things because the idea is that throughout the course essentially the guy's wasting his bullets mm-hmm. getting kind of it like... down to the one shot because mm-hmm. the golden gun's got one shot in it and that's all scaramanga needs bam one shot to the head after he skates down some 
a little bit of a ramp and that's our shot of the golden gun too which is like it's on this little pedestal it's kind of like it's kind of i don't know you get the kind of sense that it's sort of like magic it isn't of course not at all but it's like you know like oh okay that's the golden gun that we're gonna get throughout this whole movie but then bam there's a statue of bond and you're like what's happening here what's bond doing why isn't he moving oh it's a mannequin okay setting up something for later i think this is super well done great opening sequence mm-hmm so before we get into the uh, transition from that, where he shoots off the fingers, and then we just get and we got to talk about Christopher Lee because this is we've been introduced to the Man with the Golden Gun here, but let's talk the actual man who plays Man with the Golden Gun. Lee is awesome. This dude is a legit badass. He was in the British Secret Service. An RAF pilot in World War II, an intelligence agent. He interrogated Nazi war criminals. He worked with the SAS. He's the cousin of Ian Fleming. So it's like the guy who wrote the Bond franchise was like, I want you to be in Dr. No. And I'm related to you. And we're all like into the war and stuff. He, uh, he played Dracula in a, a bunch of different things. And there's a little thing that production notes and stuff when they went through these caves uh they found a whole bunch of bats and roger moore apparently quipped to him master they are yours to command and lee was just like ah this is fucking great like that kind of thing like lee is fucking so cool that's amazing yeah lee lee is just one of the most fascinating human beings that i think has ever maybe even grace the face of the earth, really, because, again, he's, like you say, military service and all that stuff associated with it. He Then he's involved in so many franchises in history, and he plays standout roles in it. It's obviously, he's here as Francisco Scaramanga, so he plays a role in the James Bond franchise. He's involved as Count Dracula in all those Hammer horror movies. He's in Star Wars as Count Dooku. So he's in the Star Wars franchise. He's in the Lord of the Rings franchise and the Hobbit film trilogy of Saruman. It's like, it's like, so, it, like these iconic franchises. It's not just like anything. These are franchises that people will be watching for centuries, maybe. And like this guy is a, it's obviously he's never like the pivotal role, but he is a noticeable character in all of those ones. He's, like, he stands out, and he was part of a, a metal band as well in his later years because of his deep voice. He's just, yeah, there's so much to just absolutely adore about this man. He was like 70-something when he released that uh, album. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, what a legacy. Like, this dude's so badass. Well, yeah, so, just to put it in there, so he, he put out a heavy metal uh, album called uh, Charlemagne, The Omens of Death, on the 27th of May, uh, 2013, when he was 91 <laughs> years old. 91! I mean, he died Damn. a couple years Yeah, he later. died two years Yeah, died two years later, yeah. Whew. He plays the father. Uh, he plays uh, Wilbur in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Oh, the, the bad one, yeah. He's in Gremlins. Uh, you know, like, this guy's been in a lot of good shit. And for my money, Scaramanga is one of the absolute best Bond villains in the entire series. I'd say that uh, he's definitely one of the most interesting and captivating characters to watch. I kind of rank you a little bit lower just because of the the ending. But Lobster will get to that eventually. But 
overall, he was definitely just really fun to watch throughout. I think this is my favorite villain so far. By far. Like, he feels on the level with Bond, and even though it's it's very, like, we make fun of, you know, the Doctor Evil, I'm gonna sit here and tell you my whole plan and then kill you. He did it with such honor that it almost felt like on a different level. He wasn't incompetent about it. He just wanted to have the thrill of killing James Bond. He even says, like, that's gonna be his masterpiece. So I'm gonna do it face-to-face and that will be my masterpiece. This guy just oozed charisma as much as Bond and I, I actually really loved it by the end. Also, rather than getting a tan, he's wearing full body makeup. What? I, I don't know why they wouldn't just have him lounge out for a few hours. <laughs> They're like, we wanted to make him tan and spray tan him. It's like, just, I don't know, sit outside for a little bit and have a couple more oysters and Tabasco. <laughs> you know? uh, so we get, you know, the whole intro leads into the main theme, the man with the golden gun. Uh, it's not uh, one of the ones that was harder to figure out the lyrics for, like when you get to like Octopussy and when you're just like, how do we write a song called Octopussy? I actually really like the song in a lot of ways. It's not a top, top tier one, but I think it's super catchy. The lyrics are ridiculous, but they're fantastic. Like in particular, love is required whenever he's hired. It comes just before the kill. Come on. You gotta love it. <laughs> That's this is a great James Bond song. They're talking about everything that makes these films you worth watching in a way. Yeah, I I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> I think it's I think it's too it's too corny. I don't think Lulu sings it particularly well. Also, both of you guys, how do you pronounce the word victim? Victim. Victim. You don't. Oh, so you don't pronounce it victim to try and fit it into. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the word that she says, like, towards the end of it is like, um, uh, one shoulder gut leads, leads to another, poor victim. It's just like, it doesn't rhyme at all. She just tried to the word victim and try and rhyme it with, um, another. Like, really, really weird. Yeah, Wait, is she trying tracks. to rhyme with that? Wait. Yeah, it's, it gets. Yeah, one golden shot, shot needs another, another victim. It's come to a glittering end. If you yeah. want to get rid of someone, the man with the golden gun. Yeah, hmm. she rhymes the word another with victim. That's what she does in this song. But does she strike like Thunderball? <laughs> I'm not saying it's the worst Bond film of all time, but it's not one of my favorites. It's one of the ones that I would typically skip over on the playlist. To me, I've got it ranked, uh, even though I say, like, I, I actually quite like it a lot, it's still behind. I got, on my current list, I've got Diamonds Are Forever, Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice, From Russia With Love, Thunderball, and then The Man With The Golden Gun. But, I like, to me, that's a, still a cutoff where it's like, I can listen to this, just like, you know, it pops up on my um, playlist, and I'm just like, all right, cool, yeah, you know. And a in the second and on the man with the golden gun. In particular, I really, really like how many different variations of it are in this movie. They tweak that song to be it's like like a sweeping action theme. There's more like a love theme version of it. There's a kind of a more Asian infused theme. 
This is very versatile. One of the themes that they got a lot of mileage out of. And comparing it to uh, Alice Cooper's different song, that song's got some positives to it, but I've never felt inclined uh, inclined to just download that. That's like a forget how the lyrics go, but it's like whenever you see him, he'll be waiting for you. Da 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 da. It's kind of like I'm not. I'm glad that they went with this one. Um, I'm sure if they would have gone with the Alice Cooper one, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. But I do love how they worked some of those lyrics in there. Uh, no one can catch him. No hitman can match him for his million dollar skill. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like the song a lot. It's fun. Uh, visuals are all naked women, of course. They're stroking the barrel of a gun. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's the man with the golden gun. It's, it's, it's his magic penis. We're going to talk about that, of course. Well, it's, uh, all, it's, all, it's all pretty like, just straightforward, just like as you'd expect. And then there's just a, woman, a naked woman dancing in front of a red sparkler. Yeah, it is kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, that's just like the weird part of it. I know it starts like the, the music ramps up at that point, but it's just like, okay, is that really the best effect you could have come up with for that one? What was the red sparkler got to do with any of this sort of thing? I kind of think, is there going to be another volcano involved in this movie or some sort of firework display or something like that? No, it doesn't have any involvement in the rest of the movie. Maybe that was their stretch of saying that that's like a solar thing. <laughs> it could have been. A lot of rippling water in this for a movie that doesn't really deal with water. They well, there's, kind there's, of there's a boat chase. Yeah. Um, the girl who's in this predominantly, there's more than one girl, of course, but the, the main one that you see at the very beginning of it, that's the one that pops up in the Bottoms Up Club. I didn't know that until I listened to the commentary. Hmm. Uh, here's a little bit of uh, interesting little trivia. I'll read it verbatim from the IMDb trivia page. Uh, while doing the title sequence, title designer Morris Bender ran into a problem with one of the nude models. Her pubic hair was sticking up when they needed it flat. <laughs> After a few minutes of her trying and failing to get it right, Bender smeared her pubic hair with Vaseline. She gave Bender the brush and told him to fix the hair to how he needed. The whole thing was seen by Sir Roger Moore and producer Harry Saltzman, causing Moore to turn to Saltzman and quip, if you're the producer of this film, you're not getting the perks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's so naturally too because it just it's just him. It's, just him. <laughs> it's almost like Moore should have been a writer. You know, Moore is an excellent orator. Like he, if you've ever seen him like do any interviews and stuff like that, especially over like I've seen some of the ones that he's done in like UK shows and stuff like that. He is unbelievably witty. He can come up with any one line of any sort of situation and make it sound as suave as sophisticated as possible. He's great with that kind of stuff. More on Saltzman later on. We got you know talk about some weird stuff that happened with him in this movie. Um, so we get our uh, we got Scaramanga's backstory uh, with M's office. It's one of those things where it's like, so what do you know about uh, Francisco Scaramanga? Uh, Scaramanga. Oh yes, here's everything <laughs> that I can think of about that. Yeah. <laughs> Gives, gives always a life story, his musical yeah. features, says what his, uh, his least favorite teacher at school was. Right. Like, <laughs> Turn on the clue. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is what he ate for breakfast. <laughs> you know, like, so he says uh, he grew up in the circus as a trick shot act. Even when he was a kid, he has ties to the KGB. Current price for a hit is a million dollars. There's no photo on record, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I think that's all, which is like, okay. <laughs> It's gone to the the point at this point in the in this entire franchise. One thing that has changed completely is that M and Bond used to have in the very early movies. There was a bit frosty, but they used to just have a bit of a a playful, very respectful relationship. Now I just think M wants to kill Bond at every opportunity. (laughs) He does. (laughs) Uh, A note about the KGB thing: this was the first Bond movie to be shown at the Kremlin. And hmm. since they say he's got ties to the KGB and whatever, apparently when they watched the movie after it was done, this one Russian official turned to another one and said, we didn't train him very well. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he was joking. So M shows Bond, there's this bullet with the below seven carved into it. Bond's just flip it. He's just like, yeah, who would pay a million dollars to have me killed? M is super quick to snap jealous husbands, outraged chefs, <laughs> humiliated tailors. The list is endless. <laughs> Coffee machine makers. Is that all this does? <laughs> what repairers? Yeah. M is going to kill Bond himself. At this and point, I- you're in the franchise thinking at some point he's just going to call him into his office and he's going to shoot him. <laughs> I love that line, though. You know, jealous husbands, outraged chefs, humiliated, ta- humiliated tailors. The list is endless. And Bond's just kind of like, well, <laughs> that's right, me. Asshole, <laughs> so, uh, so M's like, you know what? Well, you got this assassin that's like amazing, the best in the world. We're going to take you off your assignment because you're just going to get killed if you're while, uh, going around. Uh, there's a, a line that I always thought was weird. It's not weird in context, but the, maybe it's the delivery of it where he goes, but sir, the energy crisis is still with us. And I, I don't know, something about that line always just struck me as odd. Uh, this is around the He's time wrong. where... Not, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I guess, around the time when they realized, like, you know what? This might not be good. We should look into some solar stuff. And here we are decades later, and people are like, nope, oil. It's like, mm, damn it. Well, okay, there's a line... <laughs> Very much later in the movie that we'll get to, yeah. just screamed like, "Oh my god, they were still dealing with this shit." It, it explains how the world sucks. It <laughs> yeah. literally does. So M's like, you know, I'm fine if you want to resign. You want to go underground, you know, like makes sense. I'll sign off on that. But Bond suggests another thing. He's like, well, you know, what if I kill him? And M's like. <laughs> Sounds neat. <laughs> you know, kind of. Uh, he seems very happy about that instead of going on vacation. And Bond's first clue of where to go is he says to uh, to Money Penny, um, Fairbanks. And she's like, Alaska. He's like, no, 002. She's like, ah, Bill. Uh, you know, I miss him or whatever. So that's the first time we're getting a like actual, not backstory, but like some information. We've gotten a name drop in a sense of... Uh, we can replace you with 008 and you know, oh, 008 will replace me. And he's like, oh, I'm uh, cold fingers. Like, I'm pretty sure he'll do a better job than you did. And whatever. <laughs> but this time we're like, okay, 002 dead. And his name was Bill Fairbanks. It was Bill. RIP Bill. Yeah. Uh, he's killed by the man with the golden gun. And there's, he died happy. Yeah. <laughs> there's some good, uh, 
little moments here. I like the uh, money penny. You're better than a computer in all sorts of ways, but you never take advantage of them. <laughs> I like their relationship. Money penny and Bond have a much better relationship than M and Bond, and it's actually stayed pretty good, except for that final Connery movie. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kind of feels like she seems to be more agreeable with more than she was with Connery towards the end of the the franchise. Yeah, when he's just like, uh, "Hey, where's that fucking book? I don't, I don't need that." Like, this one's like, "Oh, hello, James. I like you. You're my friend." Because they are friends. I mean, they grew up, uh, not grew up together, but they went to the same acting school together. Uh, Lois Maxwell and Roger Moore. So they've known each other for years at this point. I think it shows. They have a really good relationship. I actually like their relationship overall throughout the course of the series better than the Connery one. Not maybe. Eh, you know what? It might be my favorite. Uh, Bond and Money Penny kind of thing. It's between those two. I don't know. I'd have to think twice about that. Maybe with um Samantha Bond. It's crazy that her name is Samantha Bond, but uh. mm. um, Scaramanga was never confirmed as the killer. I will say, it's weird the the line uh, delivery where he's like, you know, one more thing. Uh, why did they never figure out that he was the killer? And she goes, because they never found the bullet, darling. I don't know why she's mad. <laughs> Because he calls her darling. <laughs> well, the bullet is in the dancer's belly button. A magnificent abdomen, as he says. It's very charming. <laughs> Fight scene ensues. Uh, Bond swallows the bullet. That was Dis- funny. Dispatches of the goons. She says, uh, what Rob alluded to, she says, oh, I've lost my charm. No, not from where I'm standing. <laughs> he was ready to leave. And turn back just to say, that's where I'm standing. Yeah. And they never have sex. But this fight scene was better than 90% of the fight scenes in the previous movie. So I'll give it that. And Bond takes on three guys on his own. <clears throat> and he actually looked fairly competent while fighting. And he actually got punched in the face. The blood is actually more uh, blood from the mouth. Just He got punched by accident. And they're just like, yeah, you know, looks good. Oh. Damn actors doing stuff the hard way. Yeah, yeah right, right. Did he have a blade in his pocket or something? Right. <laughs> I know, for God's sake, you're James Bond. So then he says, uh, oh, you want to go to the hotel, sir? And he's like, no, the nearest pharmacy, because he needs to get some laxatives to shit out the bullet, which I I don't uh, envy him for that. And um, that switches over to Q and his assistant, who has... More dialogue, oddly, than Q does in this scene. Uh, I like the quip that he's like, you have no idea where this, uh, what, I, what this bullet's gone through to get here. <laughs> so, so I have to mention this guy, because you guys won't know who, where he's from or anything like that, because it's a very, very obscure reference, but I recognized Colthorpe from something else, because he is in a, one of my favorite episodes of 40 Towers, which is one of the, the great, what, what, arguably many people's eyes, the greatest British. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, one of the Brit- greatest British sitcoms of all time. He plays a well, what in uh, what uh, Basil Forty, the main character, thinks is a hotel inspector, and so he's trying to essentially pamper him the entire time. It turns out he's actually just a, a used car car salesman, <laughs> and the actual inspectors are coming in later on and stuff like that. But he's that's the first episode, isn't it? It might actually be the first episode, yeah. But that's why I saw him. I thought I might I know him from somewhere, and then I just had a look through it, but. Oh my god, he is that guy from Forty Towers, and I just wanted. And now after that movie, I just thought, yeah, I want to go back and watch Forty Towers eventually at some point as well because that's that's an awesome show. But yeah, that was a nice little just 
uh, Easter egg for me, really. Tony, you need to watch more British television. I I might need to. One would, of the only I would very much recommend Forty Towers. One of the only British shows that I had seen anything of was the uh, I think it's called Absolutely Fabulous, and I hated oh. it. <laughs> no, that, that, yeah, that, it, Forty Towers is much much better. <laughs> I mean, I mean to be fair, it's gonna, again, it's going to have more bomb references because John Cleese is obviously plays a plays a Q later on. Yeah. So that's an even like that's just again mind blowing that a character in his TV show at that point in time then goes on he goes on to actually play the guy that, that guy's standing next to in this entire scene. So weird uh, crossover is happening. Yeah. So they've deduced that it's from a 4.2 millimeter gun, which doesn't exist. But Q's like, just because it doesn't exist on like commercial markets doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. We've been making a lot of weird shit, you know. It's just like, yeah. And then, and then Q will blowing up in the background. Yeah, that's this is where we start getting into the whole like, well, you know what? The Q scenes are pretty fun. Let's have some fun with it. Let's have some wacky hijinks, and I mean, we've gotten some of them here and there a little bit, but uh, this is where they really start going. No, let's do some fun stuff, which is a big switch over from the last one where they didn't even have Q. You live and let die. Uh, Q had some really playful scenes here. At one point, we we're just going to see and just go, shut up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chap who made the bullet 007. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> so Bond's going to go check out Lazar, the chap who made the bullet. Uh, Always makes me want to eat some uh, ramen when I see this family uh, eating. And uh, Lazar yeah, does his best uh, impression of any British person abroad. <laughs> <laughs> any American too. I mean, we'll admit it. Yeah. The whole like, do you understand me? I will talk louder and slower, <laughs> Lazar. <laughs> like, they just huh? all right. We're gonna go back to eating. <laughs> Lazar is like, you know, oh man, I would love to make you something. It would be a great honor. Like, you're, you're James Bond. Like, I've heard about you, whatever. And check out this. I made this. Isn't this pretty neat? This is a custom rifle for somebody who lost two fingers. Bond tries it out, shoots it, and he's like, you know, the sight's off. And he goes, well, that's because you have more than uh, three fingers. <laughs> you know, like, it's made for that guy. It's an inch too low. And there's a great bit where uh, Lazar says, uh, bullets don't kill. It's the finger that pulls the trigger. And Bond says, exactly. I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. <laughs> so speak or forever hold your peace. <laughs> Which was a great quip. <laughs> and he fires the shot, knowing it's not going to hit him. And he goes, well, you're right. An inch too low. And starts to reload again. And Lazar's just like, ah, I don't want to lose my dick. <laughs> he gives him uh, the bullets. Um, it's going to be a handoff in the casino with Andrew Anders, who we had seen earlier, Scaramanga's girlfriend. I love the whole Lazar bit. Like to me, this is something that would have worked in a Connery film, but it's got a little bit more humor to it because it's more. And I, I love it. No, it's pretty good. Also, is this like it's because is this like a movie where we see Bond in a casino for the shortest amount of time? It might be. Also, yeah, it kind of feels like oh, we have to put a casino in because it's a Bond movie, but we don't really need the casino for the context of this. They do really get away from certain tropes because, like I said, he's not banging everything that moves he's not in a casino for an extended amount of time it's more so about the story and the villain which i really enjoyed but i was gonna say this scene 
was so playful, and I don't think Connery could have pulled it off like this. It would have been fine, I'm sure, but it would have been so much more straight, and this was fun. I think if Connery would have done it, it would have come off more sinister. Like, his playfulness is... He can be playful, you know? I mean, like, the whole handing the slippers to um, Fiona kind of thing. He can do it, but there is sort of a level of, like, if he's threatening to shoot the person, you kind of get the sense that he he might just pull the trigger anyway, just kind of thing, you know? Whereas with more, he's more just sort of like, you know, what's up here? I'm, I'm making myself pop and laugh about stuff. So we're eventually, uh, Bond's tracking um, Andrea, he's following her around, and he's met by Mary Goodnight, an agent stationed over in Macau, who is beyond smitten with Bond. Pretty girl, Britt Eklund is the actress, complete twit and hopeless sap in this movie. Oh my god, this was, this felt more like, oh my god, she's a character that's actually has some backstory with him. She just wants to be with him, but my God, she was useless. Not as useless as the one in diamonds are forever. She's pretty fucking close. She's kind of like, they took the part from diamonds are forever where Tiffany was useless and said, let's make a whole character of that. I think I, I found her strangely endearing. Oh, she's like, she's cute. She's, you know, like, she's kind of like a puppy a little bit. Like, <laughs> I feel, feel like she, again, this is something about the entire movie. I don't know it's part of the thing, but it's like Bond, I know she is a bit of a klutz and she is, she's a bit of a klutz. She's a bit, again, like a puppy dog coming along behind Bond and stuff like that. But Bond really thinks that she has no ability whatsoever. <laughs> and it's just, it's a little bit like patronizing and she says the thing early on about the fact that like, says oh where where can you find a, a, a green rolls royce to find anywhere and stuff like that and then she says well you know where we are this place has tons of green rolls royces because of the um that's what people from like the consulate drive and stuff like that so he kind of looks at her and goes oh <laughs> it's like, okay you kind of know something every now and again she uh how does she rank i'm curious about this because we we haven't talked about this quite as much how does she rank for you guys as far as just like pure attractiveness? Because I mean, it might seem a little bit like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, why do you, why do you want to talk about, um, the woman like that? But it's like, no, I mean, that is part of the franchise. It is just like, look at these beautiful women kind of a thing. Um, we've talked some of the people in the past, like Domino being just like, oh my God, she's so beautiful and whatever. Um, and even like some of the people like Tiffany case in the last uh, diamonds are forever. I mean, being like, uh, you know, very attractive woman and like, and solitaire, beautiful woman, uh, whatever. But uh, how's uh, Mary Goodnight for you guys? Uh, she's very good looking. Like, I don't want to say average because average is insulting to any woman in the Bond franchise, but like, as Bond girls go, average, very, the closest thing you can get to girl next door, I think. Yeah, I thought, I thought she was like very attractive. I think that, yeah, it's not something that I don't think she's in the upper echelon for me, but she's one of the ones that goes around in some of the skimpiest clothing, though. So That's how she won she the part. <laughs> That's literally how she won the part. They were like, I'm "Wow, she drive. looks she looks great in a bikini." <laughs> you know, yeah, like that yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the point. 
she i i did a list before i did many lists uh before we started doing this uh because i was very curious to see where my rankings would go with a lot of different things while rewatching these just kind of let's do one based off of memory and then do another one based off of you know what now that i've actually watched this maybe this person's better character or maybe this whatever so to, for context if anybody's lost track of this the ones that i've done ahead of time i ranked all the movies ahead of time I ranked all the Bond themes ahead of time, uh, the opening set pieces ahead of time, the Bond girls as far as pure attractiveness, and the Bond girls as far as attractiveness plus their actual character, like, you know, whether or not, for instance, somebody like uh, uh, May Day, when we get to her for View to a Kill, big fan of the character, but she isn't as ranked up as high as far as... uh, if you're just like, all right, take a picture of this somebody, um, more of a um, a domino person, for instance, or whatever. But uh, Mary Goodnight for me falls. She currently on the other list was 36 out of the list of um, Bond girls as far as pure attractiveness. Uh, as far as her character, she's. I'm actually trying to find where she is on there. Uh, that one, I mean, she's probably towards the the mid to late uh branch of that in comparison andrea anders andrea anders whatever it might be um maude adams she is uh swedish she's uh she was a former model of course you know all the other kind of stuff that goes along with that uh i think she is criminally underrated as far as when people talk about like very attractive bond women i think uh maude adams is so good looking uh so she looks absolutely stunning and i think she's pretty up there for me like i wouldn't put her as high as domino but she's in that range and then so the when she comes back around towards uh the middle of the film right before she gets killed spoilers but i couldn't shake that my god she looks just like melania trump Oh wow! And then the still viewer is like super attractive. And no, and then it was ruined, and I was like, "Ah, oh, fuck!" But I couldn't shake that. I was just like, "Wow, she is really has that look to her." I have her down as the seventeenth best looking, right above uh, Honey Rider. So when people talk about like you know the most uh most attractive bond woman typically people bring up honey rider and for me i'm just kind of like i don't know andrea nobody talks about andrea what adams i have a question for you then because i know something that i know that you know as well because i've seen octopussy where does she rank lower in the rank does she go lower in the rankings when she's octopussy very lower yeah i Uh, would say and that's just uh, some of it's I mean, the I character. Mean, she's, she's like she's like nine years older at that point. Yeah, and I mean she still looks great in Octopussy. Like you know, it's one of those kind of deals. Well, it's hard to find a Bond girl that doesn't look good. Right. I mean, that's kind, of, kind of the point, really. The uh, the lowest, uh, just a uh, you know, I mean, obviously the lowest is still nothing all that bad. But um, the lowest that I've got, I think, is uh, Caroline from Goldeneye. Who at the point, even when we watch the movie, you guys are going to be like, "Who's Caroline?" <laughs> like, you know, because it's she doesn't her name isn't said in the movie. 
But um, so I've googled octopusy, and good lord, it's even worse with the comparison. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, Maude Adams. Uh, she's a a very very rare uh woman in this franchise because she plays a main Bond girl in this one, and she plays the main Bond girl in another her movie, and she pops up in a View to a Kill. But that's a cameo. She's just an extra. She's walking by the scene when they're filming, and it's like, hey, Maud Adams was on set visiting kind of thing. So she's just like woman on the bridge. You know, they don't like credit her for anything. But so, so is there any particular reason why they went with two Swedish actresses for this? I think it's just one of those, like, we're looking for women. No, oh, we're looking in, like, the Swedish range. Oh, we like both of these. Like, I don't think that they actually went, like... You know how, like, some movies, like, uh, especially lately, a lot of movies try to placate to the Chinese market, and they'll be like, well, we're introducing this Chinese actor or this actress in there, so that way they can seem like a big deal in China, and, you know, I don't think it was anything like that. I think they were just sort of like, Swedish women are beautiful, too, like, kind of thing, yeah. Well, you said that as, like, that's, like... A revelation that's like yeah i mean that everyone know. knows about like, yeah. the scandinavian countries that they have really beautiful people <laughs> right maybe they thought that they needed a quota of like yeah, swedish women are beautiful why don't we have more of these and, you know. so uh you mentioned before they track uh andrew's car it's green rolls royce it's a hotel uh and this leads to one of my favorite bits of the entire film and I'm going to actually send you guys a link on uh, our Skype chat here to load up at, at uh, one point. I'll tell you when. Uh, the, uh, the hotel scene, I'm going to kind of rave about some stuff for a little bit, more than anybody would have noticed that we would have been talking about this hotel scene. Uh, in particular, one of the things that a line that has stuck with me throughout the years, kind of like the uh, half you get the rest later or the W6N kind of thing or, you know, uh, any of those kind of things. I, I always want to mention the ones that have stuck with me. One of them is, oh, surprise, <laughs> the hotel staff. Yeah, <laughs> that's just burned in my brain, you know. Um, so Bond goes into Andrea's hotel room and she's showering. And here's where you need to click on that link. The music here is phenomenal. It is a great mixture of like a, it's got like the stealth spy thing to it. There's a bit of sadness, uh, a little bit of like a horror thriller kind of thing going on. And it's just a rendition of the main theme, which again shows how versatile this main theme can be. I'm going to, I'm going to risk uh, the copyright on here and play a, a couple seconds of it uh, while I'm talking. And hopefully it's not going to give me too much of a problem. But he's got his champagne that he brought in and her showering with this. I don't There's like this weird kind of. I don't know. I love it. I absolutely love it. It is, a, it is a really nice mix. I'm glad you actually sent it, like, kind of isolating it and forcing us to hear it, because I know that we've said, ah, oh, background music. But yeah, I really do like it. I know you guys don't listen to the stuff as much. I'm, I'm really enjoying it myself as I listen. 
I have mentioned it before, like you just take different versions of the song and apply it to different scenarios. Uh, in particular, the if the copyright stuff doesn't screw me over when it comes to this, um, this part. Do, 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 do. I love it so, so much. It's one of my favorite pieces of music from any of the films. Yeah, it's like it's 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 really nice to listen to. I have to say, my senses were kind of overloaded with the just the visual of Bond just staring at a naked woman that he's never actually met before, <laughs> and that's just like okay, just like he's just it's it's lecherous. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that's that, that's the best way I can kind of describe it, really, because this woman has no idea he's in his room, Mm-mm. and he's just like, yep, yeah, okay, I'm just gonna watch you be naked. It's, uh, you know what? I think we're we're making real progress in this franchise, though. That's this scene is. We well, about... just would have jumped in. <laughs> yeah, like like this scene is maybe about as scummy as it gets, and it's pretty tame compared to the fact that the last movie literally saw him manipulate and <laughs> essentially rape somebody. Well, well, let's let's save the scumminess. There's a different kind of scumminess to this thing. Yeah, I I will say though. It's like, it's weird. It's a, uh, it's pretty sexy kind of in a way. Like, cause it's like, she's got the gun. Of course he, he makes the quip, you know, is that a water pistol? Which is like, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't get the sense of it being as creepy. Maybe just because I know that she's involved with a man with the golden gun or something. Like there's another thing in another movie a daniel craig movie where he just walks in when the girl's showering and i feel like that's worse with this one i don't think it's as bad <laughs> it's a it's still you know there's still questionable elements to this whole scene and we're we're not done talking about this scene this is a it, there's a lot to break down on this but i do think it's like this weird mix of a lot of feelings and uh themes and all that i just i absolutely love this whole thing but she gets him to hand uh, the towel and uh, then it gets like kind of funny and then it gets serious and it gets kind of like kind of dicey and then it gets funny again and whatever. It's all over the place where like he's playing around with the bullets and she's trying to call uh, the front desk and she's just, you know, like put them down and whatever like that. And he's just sort of, you know, uh, like, yeah, what do you do with these? And like that kind of thing. But he grabs her twists her arm she says ow you're hurting my arm and no shit that's kind of the point and he says i'll break it if you don't tell me what i want to know whatever uh i want to know where those bullets go so she gives up scaramanga's name and it's kind of like it's it's sad because she's like you know he's gonna kill me and she's just like all right scaramanga like fuck and watching that, I kind of go like, oh, I feel bad for her. So bad. Like, you can tell she doesn't want to risk all that or whatever. She says she's his lover, but only before he kills to help his concentration and and such, <laughs> you know. And uh, she doesn't know where Bond can find him. And Bond slaps her. And we've talked a lot about Bond slapping women and hitting women and doing all this kind of stuff. Obviously, we are not cool with that. We've talked about that many, many times. I will make a little bit of an argument on this one. At least she's the girlfriend of the guy who wants to kill him. So she is like flat out a villain in his mind. 
instead of just being like, hey, what are you up to? I'm going to slap you because I need to whatever. Again, I still don't like it, but uh, Bond, uh, it doesn't feel right with more. Especially, I mean, it doesn't feel right no matter what, but like with Connery, they were in a different time frame too. And this is like the last time that this really pretty much happens with more bond. Didn't you uh, say that he was really uncomfortable with it? You did yeah. that in a past podcast. Yeah. This is where it's just like, I don't want to do these kind of scenes anymore, which, yeah, good for him. It, it was sort of the thing that happened in it, which kind of feels more bond like though. Yeah. So not that it's saying that again, not condoning it, but it feels like saying that, Connery would have done. So it feels Which more is terrible, like... by the way, that it's just like, <laughs> ah, you know well, what? Bond well, would have done this. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It's just like, you kind of have to say, yeah, it's it's uncomfortable to watch, but people just realise that the Bond character that was written is a lot worse than he's actually portrayed in pretty much any movie. Mm-hmm. He's misogynistic, he's racist, he's very aggressive towards women or any other minority group or anything along those lines. Like, the Bond actual character is very much of the time that he was written about when basically you could get away with saying all this shit and nobody batted an eyelid. But yeah, the Bond character would not work if it had come to fruition in this era. And it's, and it's been softened down. I say softened down. It's been, it's been adjusted to a modern, modern yeah. contemporary uh, views. You can see some of those things happening throughout this, and Roger Moore does soften things quite a bit, especially going forward. So Andrea says that he's going to be at the Bottoms Up Club. Uh, there's an exchange. How will I recognize him? He's tall, slim, and dark. So is my aunt. <laughs> Anything distinctive about him? Oh, he has a third. And Vaughn says a great line. Probably the most useless piece of information I've ever heard. Unless, of course, the Bottoms Up is a strip club, and Scaramanga is performing there. <laughs> Uh, she says that she doesn't want Bond to trust her arm anymore. He gets, uh, he's, uh, you know, I, I don't want to either or whatever. Um, he gets some champagne. She asks, why should you trust me? And he says, I don't, but neither will Scaramanga if he hears about this interesting conversation. Who knows? He may even use one of those little golden bullets on you. And that would be a pity because they're very expensive. Fuck. <laughs> Again, peak, very, very, it's very, it's very, very bond. bond like, yeah. Peak asshole bond. That's negging to an nth degree. <laughs> mm. I like it. And it really fit. It fits. Like again, I could see Connery doing that, but it fits more just as well. Really. Mm-hmm. I love that line, though. It's so, like, what a dick. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, hey, he might even kill you. And that those bullets are really expensive. It's like. Shit. <laughs> Yeah, he's put her That's in a, situ- a waste of a bullet, dude. You, you nothing. Yeah. He, he's put her in a situation where she has to really comply because if he figures out that they've had this conversation in the first place, then she's dead anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, they're in this mutual agreement. It's like, well, either we're both going to die or he's going to die. That sort of thing. Yeah. It's like that scene with uh, Rosie in the last film where he's like, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, he'll kill me. And he's like, I'll kill you if you don't tell me. Like, it's too a different degree where it's got this extra like panache to it. I think it's so good. And I feel so bad for Andrea. Cause you can tell throughout this movie, she's just so like she, the next shot we see her in Scaramanga's just had sex with her. She looks pale. 
dead inside. She's totally disengaged with this, if you could even call it a romance. And it's foreshadowing that someone's about to bite the bullet because, you know, he he comes just before he kills, I guess you could say. <laughs> but like, uh, Yeah, the song says. Yeah, it, it's like between the Bond stuff and, you know, like, well, he'll kill me if I tell you. And I find she says it's Scaramanga and uh, she sleeps with Scaramanga and she just looks so out of it. You're like. Even when knowing what happens in this movie, every time I watch it, I'm like, I hope she doesn't die. You know what I mean? Like, I feel so bad for her character, which I means that I absolutely love her character. She's actually maybe my favorite of the whole, like, you're the girlfriend of the villain kind of characters. There's plenty of those throughout this franchise. I really like Andrea. She's a very character. Early on, like, she was, I don't know. I don't know the right word because she basically, even in the very beginning when she's drying him off, just sort of looks like Ugh, he's not, you know, good to me. And they really set it up to where I thought she was going to be the one that Bond gets away with and is having sex with at the end of the movie. And no, no, she is not. Yeah, I mean, like this formula of a Bond villain woman. Uh, sacrificial lamb and the one that he gets away with at the end there is they kind of just combined it a little bit with Andrea but I think you can make the argument that there's a version of this movie that could work where good knight is the sacrificial lamb and Andrea is the main bond girl oh yeah absolutely you could tell that story I think it's actually more effective this way though yeah I mean I like it the way that it is um because you feel more for it. It's just a case of like, yeah. If, I think I think for Good Night to be effective in the movie, she has to survive the entire way through. I think if she was killed early on, it's kind of like she's just a nothing character. And since she's so much of like a twit, they'd be like, "All right, you got rid of the the idiot kind of a thing." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you get rid of her, the one that's got some real like context and turmoil going on behind her, then when she actually dies, you actually feel something for it. Yeah. So outside the bottoms up uh, club, which is kind of a strip club to a certain extent, <laughs> there's a fake out. Uh, Scaramanga was about to shoot Bond, it seems, but he shoots this other guy instead. Uh, Roger Moore does this like he looks like he's doing a push up when he falls down. It's kind of funny. And Lieutenant Hip thinks that Bond's the one who shot him. Uh, Bond's like, you know, check the gun. I didn't shoot anything. Yeah. Who cares? We're going to take you in. Nick Knack scopes out the body. Of course, we know later on he's stealing something when he's doing that. Um, there's a good bit of music that I like here a lot uh, when Hip is being all secretive. I, I love the music in this movie. Uh, the, that one's like, all this kind of music in this movie I love so much. Uh, I'm not going to send you the clip on that one, especially because I don't want to risk the copyright stuff. <laughs> um Scaramanga comes back, he rubs his gun all over Andrea. I'm sure there's some kind of fetishes out there that really love that scene, but to me it's just it's creepy, which is good because you're supposed to think that this is the bad He's guy and all that. Um any thoughts you guys have on the bottoms up stuff before we move on to the ship? No, no, it was, it was just there for the context. I mean, the most interesting part of that entire thing is that he didn't shoot Bond. Mm-hmm. 
which immediately plants the idea in your mind, which will be explored later on, in the fact that, well, he could, if he had a hit out on Bond, why wouldn't he kill him there? Yeah, it's not like he missed, because... No, he, hit, he killed he, someone else that he actually had a hit on. Yeah. So, Hip takes Bond to this ship that they were showing earlier that sank under mysterious means, and uh, it's actually outfitted as an MI6 base, and M&Q are inside. We're getting double the amount of M&Q. Actually, we get them a little bit later on, too. Remember when I said in You Only Live Twice that they'd start doing some weird off-site bases for M to hang out in? <laughs> now we're like a 45-degree angle. Yeah. I think it's, I'd it's, have a headache if I was working on this movie <laughs> and that scene. I mean, it's, it's, it's unique. Yeah. It that way. It's pretty cool. And uh, Hip is an ally. Turns out the guy Scaramanga killed was Gibson, the missing solar energy expert guy. And M, uh, being the jerk that he is, says, I almost wish that Scaramanga did have a hit out on you. <laughs> I, I I don't understand why he wants Bond to just die so badly. Because he's causing him too much trouble now. He's been too, it's been too much of a pain in the ass for him to deal with. Plus, he's like, oh, you, you're lepidoptery. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'll teach you to talk about my butterflies. <laughs> Uh, and they pretty much detail the rest of the plot for us. High Fat, a rich industrialist, is the one who's hired Scaramanga to kill Gibson so he could get the Solex agitator and control the energy crisis. High Fat. Yeah, it sounds like, like some really streaky bacon or something. There was apparently a low fat in the script. <laughs> and yeah, Nick Knack's name was originally Demitas. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm glad they didn't go in that direction. <laughs> Not as effective. Of literally demitas and high fat and low fat. Uh, high fat's place. Let's talk about that. Uh, Bond heads there, and he sees a naked girl swimming in the pool, who introduces herself as Chew Me. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> uh, me and fuck you. <laughs> Chew me. Uh, another point in the tally for nudity in a Bond film. For anybody who's keeping track of that. And uh, yeah, she's just naked in the water. So you yeah, see, you're pretty obscured anyway. She is played by Francois. I think this was pronounced uh, Terry. Dubbed by. Nikki Vanderzel. You guessed it. <laughs> Nikki Vanderzel. She's yeah. still making the rounds. <laughs> She's still making the rounds. I want so badly for her to dub somebody in No Time to Die. I she's Like, just alive. anybody. She's still around. Yeah, she's still alive. Wow. Even wow. if she has one line of dialogue, I want her to put uh, to be put in the film. Just so that they can be like, look, she still did after all this time. She's played every race. She's played every type of character, a good and a bad one, a small part, a big part. Nikki Vanderzel, unsung hero of this franchise. That's uh that's the importance of voice acting. Yeah. And you know what? Like, without paying that much attention to it, I never ever know. Like it, her voice is great. I don't know. It's just it, it applies to a whole bunch of different things. And Chumi is not really a character. <laughs> she's just, you know, no, she's a well, girl. And... She's, a plot de- she's a plot device because yeah. essentially she's there to have Bond take his show off so he can expose the fact that 
Q has grafted on a third nipple. <laughs> a fake prosthetic third nipple, uh, which he says, uh, you might find it a bit kinky. <laughs> about that. Yeah. Uh, and high fat uh, is like, you know, hey, what the, who the hell are you? What's, oh, third nipple. Okay, well, you know, sorry, Mr. Scaramanga. Um, you know, we weren't supposed to meet uh, because nobody knows what the man's golden gun looks like. He also says, uh, the third nipple is a sign of invulnerability and great sexual prowess. <laughs> I've learned to live with it. <laughs> so Bond at this point, he's got a magic penis and a, a third nipple. I mean, this dude's like, he could solve anything, right? This is, uh, yeah. like when you get supersonic or something. <laughs> this is quite weird that Anders would be so disappointed then. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, spoiler bond doesn't actually have a third nipple <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, he rips it off he, uh high fat's like uh, i'm not high fat um hip is like high fat let you in and he goes he invited me to dinner he must have found me quite titillating <laughs> that's a great line but but then you figure out that scaramanga's been watching bond from high fat's place yeah he's knows. literally there <laughs> they already know who each other are and stuff like that so he's already like they're already working together and so this is just a trap that they're gonna put bond into uh for every reason uh the next time we see hip is bringing him off uh dropping him after, uh, at a high fat's place for dinner hip has his nieces with him Fook me in. <laughs> 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 that's that's where we're going here, right? <laughs> listen, listen. I was I as you were when I first saw this. Thought well, that's just weird. They've just put two teenage girls. That amazingly, they found two women that are too young for Roger Moore. Yeah, to put in the back seat of the car, and but then there's actually a reason for it later on, and I cannot believe the actual reason was. <laughs> <laughs> You're not expecting it at that point, right? But yeah, but you know what? It's I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> I do like that Bond's talking to Goodnight, like, you know, like, oh, I, I wish that we could, like, spend time together tonight and whatever, but, um, you know, I gotta go do this thing with High Fat, and then he gets in the car with them, and she's just like, oh, yeah, alright, fine, you're gonna go fuck these two girls instead, <laughs> kind of like. Yeah, he's like, she says, I'll keep the champagne cool, and he goes, everything else warm, and then she sees the girls, and she's like, oh, yeah, you'll keep everything else warm. Yeah. <laughs> and everything else warm, like, <laughs> Uh, there's another weird scene where these statues, three of them are fake. There's these two sumos. Knickknack's got a trident, and they jump Bond, and Bond almost gets out of the scene uh, by twisting the, uh, I don't know what you would call the... He he gives the sumo wrestler a wedgie. Yeah. That's what he essentially <laughs> does. Oh, but I, I have to bring this point up as well, and I know it's a small thing in the grad scale of things, but... Knickknack? Roger Moore, the Bond... <laughs> He gets two full hands of this sumo wrestler's ass, <laughs> and he grabs at it, and he's pulling at it, and then he just, and then he somehow manages to find a knot, which when he twists it, it gives the sumo wrestler a wedgie at the same time. The music's well, like, wow, wow, you're grabbing his ass. <laughs> not, not only does he grab a handful of cheek, while this sumo wrestler has him in a bear hug, and he's passing out. A midget and two sumo wrestlers almost killed James Bond. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, imagine if that's how the series ends. I mean, and then you enough, just hear, and it goes to the end credits. 
Also, the funny enough, this is the closest the Bond has come to fucking in this movie so far. So that's like another thing. Yeah, <laughs> and that then again, they're really building towards that final sex scene. He's uh, edging. <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to see if I can fit this somewhere. I don't. I can't. Like it's not. It's not working. Maybe that was Bond issue. Um. So high fat stops Nick Knack from stabbing 007, and he says, "Take Mister Bond to school," which was a mistake. Should have like let him die. It's that that tried and true method. Shoot him. <laughs> you know, that old, stab well, him in the fucking head. He has the excuse that he doesn't want Bond to die on his premises because yeah. it's his house, essentially. So I can kind of I can slightly buy into that. Nah, only he can die there. He's got that mausoleum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, I'm surprised that like Nick Knack would be so keen to do it because surely like they have a stat like um Scaramanga has a statue of this guy in his very so surely he knows that Scaramanga wants to kill Bond. Yeah. I think it's like odd that he would go straight for it. I'm almost certain that like Scar uh Nick Knack did not give a fuck about Scaramanga. <laughs> Nick Knack's low key, like <laughs> just, yeah. Nick Knack was like he even tells Bond at some point, hey you kill him, I get all this. <laughs> Nick Knack's like, fucking great. I love Nick Knack. Imagine how gruesome that scene would have been though if he actually stabbed him with the trident. And like you see Bond, like he's like bleeding profusely and like struggling to breathe and whatever or something like. And somewhere in a funky base, M would be smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> He'd be like, yeah, about fucking time. <laughs> we yeah. can get a new 007 with Blackjack and, and Hooker. Got him. Oh, I thought you were the world's best secret agent. Yeah, you joke. Look at who got you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of all that foul half-witted. <laughs> No coffee maker for you now. Yeah. <laughs> so Bond wakes up and he's being attended to by three girls uh, who open up the, yeah, he's uh, heaven, kind of. Um, they open up the walls and they can see this martial arts training session of sorts going on where this one dude gets killed. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it really can cause a training session where one of them is fighting with real knives to the death. Mm-hmm. And he gets carted off like he's a bad act at the Showtime at Apollo or something. It's just like da 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 da. There goes that guy. He's fucking dead. And then, then the super hilarious part of this entire <laughs> sequence, which is this guy does a big martial arts demonstration because he's going to fight Bond. Then he bows his head. Bond kicks him in the face immediately. <laughs> and it's just like you're such an asshole, but you just love to see it. I love it so. Uh, I love even like the guys doing this solo demonstration. You know, just like doing it, whatever. And Bond's just sort of like whatever. But he invites him, and it's like, uh, fuck, all right, I'm going to have to fight him. Bond barely nods his head to the bow. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's, there's a nod. But that kick to the face, and then the, the true bow, chugging <laughs> off, just, oh, all right, I'm going to go back to the girls. <laughs> yeah. but then I appreciate the next part where the, like, he has to fight another guy immediately afterwards, and this other guy is always looking at Bond when he bows to make sure mm -hmm. he, he doesn't do the same thing again. That's a nice touch. Great. It's like three great bond moments in a row. The, the mm -hmm. bear nod, the kick, the nod, and then the uh, chula, chula, chula. That he's just sort of like, you're not going to do that to me kind of thing. Big fan of that. That's so good. It's just like, it, it's very uh, Indiana Jones. 
with the um the guy who does the sword act in mm-hmm. Indiana just uh shoots him, you know, that kind of yeah, kick the dude in the head, you know. Uh, that cues a whole action sequence where Hip's nieces are karate experts. Even yep. more so than the men at High Fats plays. Yeah, I've got a really bad skull. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they seem to be killing all the ones that might be good. So that might be that might be yeah. issue there, but it's just, yeah, these two teenage girls and um, Hip just basically beat the shit out of multiple people where Bond just stands there, just watching. <laughs> Just watching, enjoying, seeing the beat down. He gets to push one over at one point. And again, it's not, it can't be a real Bond movie if at, at some point during this fight sequence he doesn't throw somebody in a river or some sort of water. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. What do you guys no, think about uh, the thing that I really hate about this moment where Hip has come specifically to get Bond? Mm and he drives away with his nieces without bond. <laughs> yeah, that was that was weird. So I I I assume that he thought that he was in the car and cuz the girls are talking to him about how he needs to stop and get in stuff and stop and stuff like that make he just was too distracted or too pumped up to listen to them. But yeah, that is pretty odd. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like it makes any sense. Poor writing. Like, if you wanted to separate them, stick a roadblock between them. To do something that prevents Bond from getting to the car. You know, something actually, like, manufactured instead of just hippie and, like, is he in the car? Uh, I'm not going to stop. Uh, change my mind. Fuck this. <laughs> kind of, you know? Well, in fairness, we are reaching the point which is probably the weakest of the entire movie. It very much is the weakest part. And there's... There's two very good letters why that's the worst part of the entire <laughs> Because of all the people they thought, uh, you know, we need to bring this guy back from the previous movie, JW. Before we get even to that, we start this and boat I, sequence, and there's this little kid on a tour boat. This is awesome. This is fucking awesome. I'm not, I'm not having anything yeah. else said against it. This is so good. I love this little kid. He's trying to get these people to buy this little wooden elephant. He's schmoozing up to them, the real like car salesman type shit, where he's, you know, hey, pretty lady, 60 baht. You're a very handsome man, 40 baht. For you, sir, 20 baht. And he says to Bond, uh, I'll give you 20,000 baht if you can make this heap go any faster. All he does is flick a little switch and it starts working. He's like, 20,000 baht. And Bond's like, I'm going to have to owe you and pushes him out of the boat. That is the greatest. <laughs> That's the best thing I've seen. He's just like, oh, you did it. Uh, sorry, kid. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, he's just, I love him shouting bloody tourist as he flies off yeah. as well. It's just... <laughs> I love that. That's it's one of my favorite parts of the movie in an otherwise pretty shitty sequence. I mean, the, the yeah. boat sequence itself is fine, but like the it is the weak part of this movie because one of the tourists in the boats, like you said, is Sheriff J.W. Pepper, who's reintroduced to us with the line, Goddamn little brown water hog. Oh, what's the matter, J.W.? Huh? You just try yeah. that in my bayou, boy. I'd haul your ass. <laughs> Yeah. Goddamn so, little brown water hog. Fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah, we get we get very much a lot of uh, mentions about uh, little brown men and mm-hmm. pyramid heads or something to that effect. America don't look good in this movie. Not, Not at all, man. 
uh, JW's wife, uh, she was like, oh, I got to get me one of them cute little elephants. And he that goes, was funny, though. they're elephants. Democrats, Maybell. <laughs> but even though they're not, Democrat is the donkey. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> is the joke here that he's so goddamn dumb he doesn't even yeah. realize which one it is? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yes. Yes, I. Uh, he also has the line, if you got your little pointy heads out of those pajamas, mm. you wouldn't be late for work. Yeah. And we get a slapstick bit with an elephant. Boy, you is ugly. He gets knocked in the water after this whole ghoulie bird. What the fuck is a ghoulie bird? (laughs) I know I've heard that before, but I'm not from Louisiana. I have no idea what a ghoulie bird is, but it's just like, let's give him like eight lines in a row that are just like, it's Sheriff D.W. Pepper. Like, just. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's such a low point in this entire movie. He's like. I enjoy when he's shotgun with Bond in the car. Because it's just like, maybe the deal is Starsky and Hutch and mm-hmm. goofy buddy comedies were popular. And they're like, we got to stick Bond with this guy. Because goofy comedies are in. You know who would have been awesome? Mrs. Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of funny if she was like... You know what? I, I've been so tormented from this that I'm just going to take a trip. Mm. <laughs> and he comes in there and all that. And, and she's she's changed from uh, flying the airplanes to being on a boat. And he gets on her boat. Like, you know. Holy like, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this whole, chase, this whole chase sequence ends with Bond using his own boat to split the other boat in two. The chasing boat in two. Mm-hmm. To JW's delight. Yeah. Uh, so a note on elephants because we have the elephant here. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Remember, I said we would talk about the producer Harry Saltzman. <laughs> yes. So, so okay. So this is the second straight movie that they've had some. Oh no, the second straight movie. It's um, there's Diamonds and Forever, and then there's this. Yeah. But there's been some sort of element involvement. So I assume this guy either owned elephants or really liked elephants. He wanted to have an elephant stampede in this movie. Where Bond and Scaramanga would chase each other on elephants. And everybody hated the idea. <laughs> everybody. They were all like, this is stupid. And he's like, I think it'll be great. It's going to be great. And they're like, even Cubby Broccoli is just like, this is dumb. No. And he went to see some trainers about it. And he ordered... 2,600 pairs of elephant shoes for a sequence that didn't come remotely close to being filmed. And they never paid the guy for the shoes. (laughs) He still has not been paid. (laughs) And this is one of the many things going on where Saltzman is done with this franchise going forward. He got into debt and he had to sell his part of the franchise to Cubby Broccoli to pay off his debts. <laughs> so going oh, forward, wow. th- there's no produced by Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli. It's just Cubby Broccoli. I guess uh, if he's coming up with those ideas towards the end, I think it's pretty much that his useful uh, tenure is pretty much up at this point. So um, It would make you think gonna... that we're a little bit less crazy stuff, but we get some crazy shit going forward too, so... Is he going to get the same uh, stuntman that did the alligator hopping to do this one as well? <laughs> That'd be great if that was. Know. 
<laughs> they're just like, hey, uh, Kananga, <laughs> come here. So, um, High Fat gets a little too big for his britches. He talks down to Scaramanga, you know, hey, forget, I'm hiring you. Like, this is my big operation, whatever. He gives him the Solex. And Scaramanga assembles the golden gun. It's We actually get to see what it's made out of. It's a pen, a lighter, a cigarette case, and a cuff link for a trigger. Fucking cool. I yeah. want so badly to get a, a prop replica of the man with the golden guns, golden gun. Like, I think this is awesome. I know it's not a Bond gadget, but can we classify this as a gadget? That's uh, totally the gadget of the movie for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah All right. Absolutely. It's um yeah, it's really clever construction, very good to conceal. So. And he uh he kills High Fat. He says, "Put him in the mausoleum." <laughs> he always did like that. I, I like that. I think that's pretty cool. I like the fact that he says like he's resigned. And that's yeah. Like a Bond line. <laughs> that gives you a little bit of a taste of what he would have been like if he would have been cast as a Bond. I don't think he would have been a good Bond. I think he's a much better villain. Oh, he. Like Christopher Lee, like again, love the guy. He could only do villains. Yeah, really. He just has that. He's he's got too much of a presence of just pure evil behind him. His eyebrows alone. (laughs) Yeah. And for all uh, accounts, he seems to be a great dude. Like I don't know anybody talking about like oh he was a real dick on set or something. Like he seems like he's the type of guy where people are like oh I loved Christopher, you know. And he just has this look, like he's got that like resting bitch face type of thing going on, where you're just like, yeah, this guy's like at least half Satan, kind of, you know. Like, uh, good night and Bond have dinner. They drink some foo yuck. <laughs> foo yuck. Well, fuck. <laughs> There's a little bit where he's like, uh, I approve of your frock, and uh, yeah, it's all tight and everything. And she's like, the, the bottom button's got a homing beacon in it. I care to see a Q branch. Uh, despite how Mary has been drooling over Bond 24-7 with this, she says being a passy fancy for him to kill a few hours isn't her scene. Completely can contradict this before and after. Because <laughs> she's already in the room wearing like this little negligee kind of thing. She's like, oh, I was trying to play hard to get. I'm weak. <laughs> well, now let's be... Let's be fair, there are plenty of people who do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are plenty of people who, you know, they can't just say, have me. Like, they gotta, they gotta make it sound like, you know, it's not that easy. Can you introduce <laughs> me to some of them? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to Tony. Uh, I'll have some fuyuk at my wedding. <laughs> so, have some fuyuk and someone too fuyuk. <laughs> Uh, make that a double, by the way. Our uh, our first dance is going to be the man with the golden gun. <laughs> uh, you going to come just before the kill time? <laughs> all I need is one golden shot. Hell of a wedding, man. So, it sucks for good night. She's like, oh, it's finally happening. Nope, Andrea is there. <laughs> and uh, Bond has his line, uh, Miss Anders, I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> Which Mary did not like. She is not like that one fucking bit. <laughs> so, so she's hiding under the covers and Bond says that he does this old uh, free pillows in the bedroom scene to protect himself. And he just pats it down. Just She's just there, laying there, <laughs> waiting. <laughs> you know, 
And so Anders and Bond start making out because, like, like Anders is here to warn him about the danger she's in and saying that she was the one that sent a bullet to Bond in the first place to because it wasn't a hit on him. She was just using mm-hmm. that. So he's the only one that he, uh, she believes can kill him. And so she basically says, I can, I'll give you anything amount of money that you want, and then you can have me as well if you like. And that felt like... It's I so sad. Like, yeah, it does feel like, yeah, just use me if you have to, if that's what it takes to get it. And Bond, Bond to his credit, I mean, obviously he's interested in that side of things because he is Bond, but he wants the Solex. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing that he's after. So he shoves Goodnight into the closet. <laughs> Yeah. She's like, my clothes. And he's just like, go in there, you know, whatever. Uh, so she gets to listen to them bang for the next two hours. Uh, she's like, but I'm again, resigning in the morning. <laughs> but again, this movie, very different. Bond was clearly focused on the Solex. Mm-hmm. Bond only did what he felt he had to do. What he does for and, Queen and Country. Yeah. yeah. And it, I do, it actually felt like that this time. And I do like the line afterwards where basically she says that, like, uh, Goodnight says something to the effect of, oh, okay, so you're going to get the uh, Solex after you kill him. And then he says, no, actually, she's going to deliver the Solex to me and then I'm going to kill him. And it says, wow, James, you must be good. Yeah. <laughs> but you're such a good fuck that he's, she's going to do that magical penis, you know? He does say to her, oh, your time will come. <laughs> yeah, like, no, no. Come on, I'll fuck like, you. Like he's, it's like his no, penis he has got a timeshare or something. Yeah. <laughs> He literally takes out of the closet and he's like, well, what time is it? It's about two. And he's like, I've been there for two hours. I, I quit. Oh, come on now. It's your turn. Like, get, get, get over here. <laughs> I like this implication. They don't say it, but I mean, he got the cigar. I like this implication that he didn't have like, he was like, ah, she could stay in there for a couple more minutes. <laughs> kind of like... Can we also say that? Like Moore's Bond, why does Moore's Bond always smoke cigars? He, he smokes other... cigars and he drinks bourbon. Yeah, and the other Connery and Connery's Bond didn't do that stuff. Yeah, that's just because Moore liked cigars. Yeah, I mean it's not like it's not like it's like earth shattering to me, but it's just like it's a very better. distinctive thing of his character. Yeah, I think the cigar fits better for the character. Yeah, and eventually, of course, we're gonna get to by the time you get to. Um, Brosnan Bond doesn't smoke because then we're in I an era why. where where people are why. like, oh yeah, smoking really fucking bad, <laughs> like you know. Uh, but even Dalton smokes um cigarettes, so. Uh, Bond goes to meet up with Andrea at this uh kickboxing kind of fight, and she's dead in her seat, mouth agape, bullet wound you know trickling down some blood and bond's like oh oh darling i think you forgot it in your purse let me just whatever and scaramanga sits down he's like you're not gonna find it in there i already looked (laughs) just kind of you know and don't think about doing anything uh my uh peanut toting friend behind you (laughs) it's uh he's got this little tiny gun like they gave knick knack a little gun (laughs) we're led to believe that he killed uh andrew right no, because uh, Scaramanga says that. Yeah, because he talks about the fact that it was um, a very difficult oh, shot from the angle it was, it was in. Yeah, satisfying. Very satisfying. Right. Yeah, and yeah, Bond says, we all get our jollies somehow. Yeah. And then, so Scaramanga goes into this discussion about the fact that he, well, essentially, like his own little story about how he was helping an elephant at one point. Again, just the elephant stuff is really, like, very, <laughs> very t- keen into the movie. 
and he kills the elephant's handler after he was abused by him. Mm-hmm. And essentially, he talks about that. I used to think that I loved animals, but I actually, turns out I love killing people a lot more. It's a weird kind of thing where, like, it kind of endears you to him a little bit, doesn't it? That he's like, you know, oh, you're mistreating this poor elephant. I'm going to fucking kill you. And, oh, I love animals. And you're like, he's not that bad. And it's like, you know, kind of like, it's one of those things about him is just that he's not. He's not a, a very detestable villain in the same way. I mean, he, he does have elements of him that's yeah. detestable, like the way that he just killed uh, Anders there and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So like, it's not like it's not like he's forgivable in any sense of God, but he's he has a bit more of a complex backstory than other villains have. He's a very likable guy for being arguably the best assassin in the entire world. <laughs> I also had the kind of feeling like. You know, he doesn't seem like that bad of a guy, even though you know he's a pretty bad guy. And uh, there's a good little bit, I think, where um, Bond orders some peanuts and a tip, and he finds the soul axe and he trades it off and whatever. But good night, fucking useless. <laughs> she goes to track Knickknack, finds herself shoved into Why? the trunk of a car. She's carrying so, not only the soul axe, you know, like it's just like. So- why that was my issue why did she go and try to get into knickknacks car to begin what are you doing so she went to put in she went to open the trunk so she could put in a homing device yeah to try to track where scaramanga and knickknack are going but she did it in broad daylight where she's like just behind them in the car and yeah and yeah scaramanga just walks up behind her just pushes her (laughs) in to the trunk and it's just it's just this is a whole comedy of errors that follow because then like she's in the trunk and they're gonna go after her to try and find her because they get her uh, Bond gets her on the walkie-talkie, and then they go into their car and then he figures out oh she's actually got the keys to her car as well yeah. in their the pocket as well as the um Solex and so and like at this point Bond is just talking to her like a child, mm-hmm. just like where uh, are the keys to the car like what did you do you idiot like Mary. <laughs> And then, and then, for some reason, again, we have to dig into this well one more time. Where Bond sees into like a car dealership, and he just gets in the car that is, for some reason, being looked at by J.W. Pepper. Yeah. And so he gets in the car, turns it on, and he just drives away with Pepper in the seat with him, and he's super excited because he recognizes yeah. him as the super secret agent. That <laughs> you're that is, you're that secret agent, that English secret agent from England. <laughs> I do like I that thought line. That this is funny because of that line and because uh-huh. of everything that happens from here on in, where he's just a bumbling buffoon. But Bond is like, oh, well, f- you're fucking here. Here. Mm. Like, talk to headquarters. And he's <laughs> he's just like, this shit I remember. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm being deputized and all this. Like. And and we have our like our typical um car chase scene that you get in every Bond movie. Especially um, the more ones, yeah. They love their car chases and stuff. Yeah. The one, the one, the one thing before, the, obviously, the very end of the car chase. The one thing that really caught my mind is at one point, um, so Pepper and Bond go past a guy who's just driving just this random car, and you see Pepper like leaning his head out of the window and stuff like that, and shouting at this guy. And then this guy, for some reason, like he's not involved in the chase whatsoever, just drives up a ramp and crashes into another car. <laughs> <laughs> what? He didn't explode. Yeah, I was gonna say the cars are getting better. They're not exploding anymore. <laughs> the seventies. 
you know, they they made them in uh, better quality at this point. They took out the um, you know, every car has got like the exhaust pipe, every car has got the the gear shift, and every car back then had the uh, explosion uh, trigger, and they took that out. So they're trying to figure out how they can get the Scaramanga. He's on the other side of the thing. The nearest bridge is, you know, like a couple miles back or whatever. And Bond sees this little twisty kind of half bridge. He goes, well, you're not thinking. He goes, I sure am, boy. I thought that was fucking hysterical. And they do this car stunt, which they actually did in one take. Yep. Astonishing. It took more takes to do the uh, magnet pull. With the uh, the, dress. the dress in Live and Let Die than it did to do the alligator thing and one take to do the car stunt. It's uh, the first stunt to ever be calculated by using a computer model. Mm, yep, and it was perfect. Except for what? the fucking slide whistle. Slide whistle, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that, that, that is stupid. But... John Barry, the one who did the music for this, he has gone on record of saying, I shouldn't have done that. He's like, I ruined it. He thought that it was too silly and that nobody would believe in it. So he was just like, let's just go with the comedy part of it because nobody's going to believe it, even though they really did it. And afterward, even on the commentary and stuff, it's just him just being like, I never should have done that. I killed that. Like, great stunt. Fantastic yeah. stunt. I mean, that realistically should be done with just the car engine noise. Because mm-hmm. it's just like, just like him, just it flying through the air. And it's so, it's so good. It's so well put together. I mean, we have to obviously suspend the disbelief beyond the foot. Why the fuck would two bridges just bend in that direction? Yeah. And stuff like that. But, but it's it's such an awesome spot. I do like the, you ever heard of Evil Knievel? Yeah. <laughs> it's just astonishing to me that it's like, they're like, yeah, I can do that. And then the system driver's like, Vroom! and they're like, okay, <laughs> we did it. They took out a copyright on it to make sure that nobody did it for a couple of years because they were just like, this is so good. Everybody's going to want to do it. Smart on them. And then Scaramanga's car turns into an airplane because <laughs> why not? Yeah. I mean, again, this is this is bizarre. And I, I will will obviously put the record of that. But to be fair, if you're trying to, they're trying to now portray obviously the fact that Scaramanga and Bond are like 1A and 1B. Mm-hmm. And I could totally see Bond doing this, so it's like it's not out of the question. He does it later on. Something else in, yeah, exactly. in another movie turns into an airplane. <laughs> so, yeah. It's then, uh, it's actually based off if they were trying to figure stuff out like that for real at that time. So they were like, oh, well, this will be a thing in a couple of years. Let's just do it before it becomes a thing. <laughs> J.W. Yeah, Pepper's just like, oh, you never saw a plane before? You know? Hey, give him a while back. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, it's just one of the funny things is that Goodnight has been using this time in the, trapped in the trunk to try and escape, and then she finally managed to get the <laughs> trunk open, and she she thinks that the car stopped because essentially it's not moving anymore because it's not because it's just flying now. And then she's up there like miles in the air when she gets back yeah. up and just like nope, gonna go back here. <laughs> Safer in the trunk. And I love uh, we transition to M's bewildered face, and he's just like, "What the fuck? The cow? The car sprouted wings." Q's just like, yeah, it's perfectly feasible. We're working on them right now. Shut oh, up, shut up, Q. Q. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and uh, Bond's like, so we can't find Goodnight. Uh, her homing signal that Q provided, it, it's not really working. And Q's like, bullshit, they're just not uh, boosting the signals. And M once again, oh, shut, shut up, up Q. <laughs> just, like, just shut the fuck up, all of you, just kind of thing. I, I like contemptuous M. You know. he's, basically, he's basically saying, this is all just a massive clusterfuck. <laughs> what are all you guys doing at this point? It figure... seems like he's, he's breaking the fourth wall and <laughs> he's just like, fuck, we're supposed to just be defending the crown and the queen. What the fuck is this? The car started with, like, <sighs> At this point in the movie, he's like, so you went to go meet Gibson and he got shot and uh, a little guy took the fucking Solex and Mer- Good night's gone, and she has a Solex, and it's in a flying car. And uh, I want to go back to my fucking butterflies, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like too old for this shit. Danny Glover should have played him, you know. Um, Bond flies to the island in a seaplane, which was donated by a wealthy American fan of the series, who said, "Yeah, I'll give you the plane under one condition: I fly it." So he flew it from America to Thailand. Um, those 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 visual shots of it flying in the that is so it's such good cinematography. Much better than some of the other flight stuff we had seen in like uh, You Only Live Twice and everything, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, it's just like it looks yeah. Again, it just looks like someone's just really doing a good shot of all this guy flying it around. It's just really really good. I uh, I also love that. Um, when Bond lands on the island, uh, apparently the guy who, when he did that, he didn't do it fast enough the first time. The second time around, he ended up getting injured and he ended up having to go to the hospital and get checked out or whatever. But looks cool. Uh, you know. But when he lands on the island, uh, Nick Knack comes out with this bottle of champagne that gets, uh, the cork gets shot off by Scaramanga and he just laughs and he, he takes his gun, <laughs> plays it on the thing and goes, I, I couldn't resist. Harmless toy. <laughs> It's a fucking revolver. Harmless toy. Uh. <laughs> so it's at this point in the movie, and mostly talking to Tony here, because you were with me when I saw the trailer, where I'm like, they showed a lot of fucking shit in this trailer. Mm-hmm. They showed a lot of that movie in the trailer, which I just think is wild. Yeah, I think going forward, today. you probably, anybody shouldn't watch the trailers for at least a little while. Because when you get into, like, the GoldenEye trailer, uh, that's not that quite as bad but like they show you in three and a half minutes they show you practically this whole movie they showed one of the the major ending scenes yeah which is like again i can't believe i guess the idea was hey listen you're gonna come to the movies anyway because movies are still a spectacle but wow the talking pictures i I just like the fact that there's there's about half an hour left in the movie at this point and this is like this is the final setting pretty much yeah and I'd, I'd like that. That's like, it's a nice, it's going to be an extended climax. One golden shot. <laughs> <laughs> he has a line that I like a lot too, where I, I mentioned it earlier, where he says, ours is the loneliest profession. Scaramanga. I talked about this with uh, Kananga, where I said like, he kind of gives off this impression that he wants to be Bond's friend. Scaramanga is a total 007 fanboy. He wants to be Bond's buddy. Like nothing else. He's showing him around his place. He's like, look at my my solar energy station and it's neat. I, I'll tell you my whole plan. <laughs> you know, like he wants to be Bond's friend. 
Yeah, so so he essentially explains the fact that like throughout this we've got the idea that he thinks that Bond and himself are the two most lethal killers in the entire history of the planet. Mm-hmm. And so this is why he wants him here. He wants to. It's not why he's so courteous towards him because he sees him as a legend. Yeah. And Bond and Bond is amazingly dismissive of this guy. He because at one point he basically says like, "There's a full little world that's like, yeah. apt for this situation. You're full of it." It's just like, just like he does not think that this guy is, is worth anything. His uh, it's, it's less that and more of like a morality thing. He's like, "Well, listen, pal." I fucking kill because that's the job says you kill just because you're a monster. Yeah. He, he kills killers, essentially, is what Bond's idea is, and he kills the contracts. But obviously, uh, Scaramanga flies back with the idea that I get paid a million dollars a contract and you get paid, like, with a, a round of applause from the, yeah, a round of applause from the queen and a pittance of a pension. Just like, okay. oh yeah, that's like, and which was just like his little um, one-upsmanship on Bond. Which was made better by the knowledge that Christopher Lee was actually yeah. in the Secret Service. <laughs> yeah. But it's the idea that he's got this island and it's completely self-sufficient. It's got its own solar powered energy and stuff like that. He shows mm-hmm. him how the solar power thing works with the Solex in there. He says his whole plan is the idea that he's going to sell this off to the highest bidder and they get to control solar energy. And I got to stop you right there because that's when Bond says, <laughs> oh, the oil uh, dregs will pay you just to keep solar energy off the market and that's just like well fuck and you go oh 2021 and they're still doing that yeah yeah i mean i do just love the fact that like scaramanga doesn't like pretend that he knows things that he doesn't know yeah he's just like you know science wasn't my strong suit and bond's like oh if you do this liquid coolant whatever and he's like all right you're supposed to smart you're my friend (laughs) you know kind of (laughs) like but he does yeah. get, he gets really happy about this one thing. And he's just like, hey, let me show you my big ass laser gun. This is the part I really like. And he blows he's up Bond's seaplane. And it's lacking a special effect. <laughs> really bad with that. And he's just like, yep, you could even call me the man with the golden gun now. Ah, look at that. I can do my own Bond quips. Huh? You like that? Like, kind of thing. <laughs> it's so like, he wants his like, uh, his approval. And, oh, it's lunchtime. <laughs> you know, kind of. That we're gonna we're gonna eat. It's not gonna be oysters and Tabasco this time. They got fried mushrooms. He's just ah, fried mushrooms. And this and this a fun. We got good night here. She's got a bikini on. She doesn't get, have any concealed weapons. Uh, knickknacks prepared prepared this meal for us. We can chit chat. You know, total fanboy. Even to the point that, and I love this little thing. Bond drinks whatever the drink was. I forget what it was. Um, and he's, you know, oh, it's reminiscent of a blah, blah, blah. And of 32, I believe you said. <laughs> is quick to literally write it down as a suggestion to get for his seller. <laughs> he's like, I'm getting it. Right? Bond yeah. likes that? Cool, I'll get it. I'll try it. It's like, you know. To us, we are the best. <laughs> he's just, and you know. That's when Bond hits him with the line that yeah. John said of, there's a four-letter word that's really useful and you're full of it. And then he's just like, all right, well, fuck you then. I could have killed you. <laughs> But it's not fun for me that way. So, yeah. you know how, like, I say boils down to, and lately I've been saying set of circumstances. Rob says, here's the thing. Callum says stuff like that and egregious. Bond's got his lines. Uh, Bond, James Bond. Shaken, not stirred. This line, there's a useful four-letter word and you're full of it. He says the exact same line again in The Living Daylights. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's good. So It's a good line. 
that's like uh, that's one of his things. Instead of being like, "Hey, fuck you, pal," he's like, you know, there's a useful four-letter word, and you're full of it. <laughs> he's a gentleman. Yeah, I like that line. I think it's he's a it's a good way to dance around saying you're full of shit. <laughs> So, so, so Rob alluded to this earlier, but it's just the idea of this explanation by Scaramanga as to why he hasn't killed Bond yet is just perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better than any other explanation we've heard so far. Yeah, he like, says they're equals. He respects him. You know, uh, the true test of his skills would be to kill Bond. It would be a masterpiece if he could kill 007. He wants to do it the right way. And that means that he wants to have a duel with him. Mm hmm. Like pistols at dawn. Yeah. And then he talks about that. He wants it to be like his golden gun against uh, Bond's. I can't remember the actual name of the. Walther PBK. Yeah. yeah Walther PBK. This is the idea that he has six bullets, but Scaramanga only needs the one bullet. So again, it's just <laughs> building up that story again. And like we, we talked about, it, every step of this conversation is like, you're so great, Bond. This is amazing. What do you think about my great stuff here? You're like the coolest dude. You, you, we would be good friends kind of a thing. And Bond, every single step of the way is like, fuck you. Fuck you. I doubt you qualify as a gentleman. <laughs> like, it's so like, I don't know. To me, a little part of me sounded like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> this guy's like, he just gave me some mushrooms or whatever. And he's like, oh, well. We'll shoot each other later, but not until, you know, we finish this meal, that, this lovely meal that Nick Knack's prepared for us, you know? And uh, I, I, I love that little bit. It, without all the people throughout this franchise that are like, I'm not going to kill you yet, or whatever, at least this one's like, no, there's art to it. I want to kill you, pistols at dawn type of thing. Man with the, the, the golden pistol man, that's what he is. Paco in the book was a no. nickname. Instead of Francisco uh, Scaramanga, he was called Paco at some point. That's awful. I don't <laughs> like Paco. Paco, it just seems a little playful. So, you got the the duel going on, 20 paces. Bond turns around and Scaramanga's gone. The hell? They cut out a whole thing here. Apparently he was going to do this whole thing with like a Molotov cocktail and he's going to try to get him out of the rocks and all this, but... um. And you would have seen, which I think I'm glad that they shut, they didn't do this, but in that scene, uh, Scaramanga would have shot something. I forget what it was. And then Bond knows, oh, he has more bullets. And I like the idea that he, you cut that out, you have no context to that. He has one bullet. That's so much better, I think. Uh, something I wish something I wish they cut out from this little section, which is like they just have this no name yeah. henchman <laughs> just feeling up Mary Goodnight back <laughs> like behind the scenes, whatever, and then just leads her away because like he needs to go check something out or whatever. But it's just a case of why did did he have to touch her up beforehand? That's like I know he's a henchman, so I'm supposed to not like him, but still it's just a bit mm-hmm. like well, we don't even know who you are or what you're involved. This is the first time we're really seeing you in this entire movie. In fairness, though, it does make his eventual death better. I mean, he's like, oh, okay, quick to know that this guy's a scummy dude. Let's be happy when he dies. But it is sort of like, he's just kind of like, hmm. Like, you know, like, because well, I kind of feel like it wasn't put in there to make him feel like makes him feel more scummy about that. It's there to do like, oh, let's 
wouldn't it be nice if we just had Britt Eklund touch it up here and stuff like that? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's what my context of it is going in the head. Like that's what the director was thinking more than, oh, that'll make this guy seem much more deplorable when he dies. They're trying to sort that out with the scene and Harry Saltzman's like, I know what could work. An elephant comes in and they're like, God damn it, Harry. <laughs> I got the shoes for it. <laughs> so we get the whole Bond going through the traps. But before that even happens, uh, Nick Knack comes up and he's just like, you know, oh, don't like shoot me or whatever. You kill him. All this becomes mine. And Bond's like, I've never killed a midget before. but He's always a first time. Oh, yeah. We skipped over that when they were at the uh the fight they were just very open with like yeah it's a midget with a gun a midget <laughs> like yeah <laughs> uh we get the whole traps you know bond goes through the he sees the saloon thing and whatever and he starts climbing through the set you know innovative thinking to get off the cameras and eventually we get the big payoff the mannequin from the very beginning Bond has traded places with it and Scaramanga is no, none the wiser and Bond just very slowly turns and shoots him. I like it. So well, that's the thing that I was going to talk about is just that I know obviously you, you've taken it as like innovative thinking and there's definitely a scope for thinking that way. What I think throws off both um, Scaramanga and Knickknack is Bond drops his gun. And I think that in my mind, and maybe this is me playing with it and stuff like that, I think they were completely thrown off by the fact that Bond was incompetent. Hmm. I, in my mind, says other figure, he thinks that Bond is the ultimate killing machine. He's already said that. He says, like, him and him are like 1A1B, and he knows that he's the perfect killer. And so Bond is the perfect killer. Bond drops his fucking gun during this during this uh, climb down, stuff like that. And so you hear it go to the floor, and it basically, you can see it in Lee's eyes. Like they, Obviously, they can't find him because he's hidden away, but also it's just like you see it in his eyes like, did I just hear his gun fall to the floor and stuff like that? It's just like, but why would Bond drop his... What? It's just like, it's just like he can't compute in the idea that this guy just fucked up royally because he's now completely unarmed. And if... If uh, Scaramanga was able to find him, he'd be a sitting duck. I think that completely throws Scaramanga off. I never looked, read into it that way. I always just thought it as him being like, what was that? Oh, God. wait. Oh, he must be from the top part. Yeah. If he dropped yeah, the gun. Like, like, that's how, how I always took it. But that's, a, that's an interesting interpretation for that. I like that. Yeah, I, I just feel like the way that I just feel like that's the when he when he dropped it, I just thought what the fuck is going on here? And just like, <laughs> like for me, it was just like a perfect juxtaposition of the idea that in order to almost like trick the other, like perfect assassin or something on those lines, you have to actually be just a really incompetent bum almost because they're not expecting it. But that's like what my interpretation was. I think your interpretation is obviously equally as valid because he does obviously make the smart decision of ducking away from the cameras and stuff like that so he does get that part of it but i don't think it was his intention to drop his gun down, down no. and stuff like that. <laughs> no he definitely does that by accident <laughs> but uh i like that that's just how scaramanga dies it's just a shot there's no like elaborate type of thing there's no you know he doesn't turn into a balloon and explode like i like that for a guy that makes a career off of just shooting people he just gets shot Simple as that. 
I think what makes this nice is even though it's not like this big fight scene, it doesn't need to be. It was very meticulous. So it's very clean. It's very, it was more about the mind games of it all. So I think this was a good death and a good villain. Like I said, my favorite thus far. And then good night, fucking twit. <laughs> she knocks the security guard into the coolant tank, and now it's going critical. It's going to blow up the whole place. Well, 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 it's now, Tony, she tried to be very fond and make a quip about laying him out cold <laughs> until she realized it backfired, at which point Bond was like, do you not have any respect for signs? She, there's a theory in this, and it's kind of like, I, I don't know, you might be able to say it's true, that she can't read. Because she doesn't read the sign thing, and later on, when they do the whole thing where they're trying to get the Solex out, he says, like, look for the button that says the interlock, whatever, and it says something like, control lock on, and she's like, ah, interlock, that's it, whatever, and it's like, you can't, can you not read? <laughs> like, you know? But yeah. I mean, I, I at least she's more useful in the sense that she managed to actually attack a guard and kill him. Yeah, yeah she's still better more than, than what uh, Tiffany did. Yeah, true. Oh, Tiffany was awful. Tiffany throws the cake and she <laughs> shoots herself off of the platform. That's it. <laughs> but um, her butt it... nearly kills Bond. Yeah, yeah just... I didn't like that. Uh, that was too Austin Powers for me. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was funny. I can help it. Just like, just like you, you can see it a mile away. Like she's leaning backwards towards it, and just like you can see the thing go the up. Camera's and, zooming in, and like, yeah. And then, and then Bond thinks that she's fixed it because the laser goes away, but it's only like a really fortunate cloud that's come yeah. over instead. And so he just about manages to get the thing before the cloud parts away, and it, it, the laser comes back down. And so he's, he's got the Solex now. They can get out of their thing by taking like the whole thing's exploding and they get away using really the boat that we haven't really talked about they just travel everywhere on this wooden boat so when they were filming this whole explosion thing uh, i don't know if you guys remember offhand um rob you just watched it last night so you might remember a little bit better but um good night falls down when she's like running away that wasn't planned (laughs) she actually tripped and they got way too close to the explosions that were going off because they were supposed to be far no. enough away from that. Uh, Moore said uh, he could feel the skin uh, or the, the little hair on her skin get singed off that to how, how close they were compared to where they should have been. Cause when he grabs her to like, you know, like the fuck out of here, Brit, like, you know, kind of thing. Like, so she narrowly uh, him too. They both narrowly ended up getting like caught in an actual explosion there. Makes for a really good uh, looking thing because it's like, oh, look at that. Look how close they are to an explosion. And it's like, yeah, that's because look how close they are to an explosion. It could have been really, really bad for him to just be like, yeah, I could feel the hair burning on her skin. Like, ooh. Um, but they get away on Scaramanga's junk. It sounds weird to say. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait. His junk's over there. Golden shot. <laughs> uh, and you'd think that things are over. But surprise, or should I say, uh, ooh, surprise! Uh, Nick Nack's here, baby. He's he's not dead. He didn't blow up. <laughs> he's in the ceiling. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was hysterical. 
throughout this entire thing because like, he's going, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. <laughs> he's hawking bottles. <laughs> yeah, he's just chucking bottles at him. Bond gets this trunk. He's using the shield initially. And then he just walks up with the trunk open towards Nicknack, just stuffs him in the trunk. <laughs> they do some like really good shit where it's like he's got this like wooden thing and he's trying to poke him out and he goes underneath something to grab him and he comes out the other side and kicks him in the ass. Yes. Like, it, it was so good. It's was, so I ridiculous. Thinking, like, I was watching this thinking, wow, Nick Knight's put out a bit more of a fight than Scaramanga did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this be mine. Yeah. But he... Yeah, bit him in the ass. I like, it's like he's, he's chucking bottles, Bond smashing them. There's glass going all over the place. Uh, eventually, Bond asks Goodnight, do you get all the glass out of the bed? Impossible. There's no way. <laughs> but whatever, you know. He he wraps him up in the luggage. And it's implied that he threw him off the fucking boat to drown. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and then saying, this is this is just a funny little spot. The fact that you have um you have Goodnight in the bed trying to get the glass off. And then she's got a sheet over the top of her. And she drops the sheet, and she's just throwing a towel underneath it. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone's just thinking, oh, my God. Oh, no. They're throwing a towel afterwards. It's like, that's, yeah. that's a little, that's, little that's fake a out. Little spot. Yeah. And she's like, and then, uh, oh, James, you didn't. He's like, oh, I bloody well did. <laughs> You're just like, he fucking got knickknack in the luggage and threw him off so he could drown to death in, inside. What a horrible, horrible way to go. Uh. The phone rises up when they're okay. I have to. I have to ask about this one. They're on Scaramanga's junker, right? How the fuck did M get his number? Essentially, is the real question. I guess somewhere along the way they must have called him, and he's calling back. No, 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 no because M is the one who put the hit out on Bond. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, Scaramanga, did you... Uh, oh, oh, Bond's there. Oh, hello, James. I'm so glad to hear about... Can you put Scaramanga on the line? <laughs> Thank you. I, I th- yeah, I think this says more about me, the fact that that what final bit in this entire movie is the most unbelievable thing right. in, this entire, in this entire movie for me. Everything else I can kind of just about justify or understand. That one makes no sense to me. I do, I do make the argument enough time seems to pass before the knick-knack thing where they've, like... They've gotten changed and everything. I'm like, he probably called him and said, like, we're on a ship. We're on Skyrimangus thing. We're heading towards whatever. You could make the argument. It is kind of like, without thinking about that, though, it is like, how the hell does he know his number? It doesn't make any sense. If he if he's got Skyrimangus on speed dial, why doesn't he just, you know? But there's a good bit, though. Uh, M is like, you know, uh, Bond, are you there? Whatever. Uh, it's good night there. And Bond's like, she's just coming, sir. <laughs> and he presses on. He's like, good night. Good night. And Bond just goes, good night, sir. <laughs> Hangs up the phone. I love it. And, and then, then we see that Nick Knack's not dead. He's tied up in the ship. <laughs> okay, so I, this is, again, this is something that I had, I've struggled with, actually, a little bit, just thinking about this afternoon. Because when I see that, and do you guys share the same react to me? But I see Nick Knack tied up there, and I feel really sorry for him. It's so sad. He looks like but, such a little, I don't know, like a little puppy or something. <laughs> like, but no, but that's the the issue is I don't feel sorry for him because like he's trained up or anything like that. I feel sorry for him because he's small, and that's <laughs> not the thing I should be feeling. Because at the end of the day, he's been like 
he's the mastermind villain of this entire thing. He like he's been killing people. He's been killing people. He's like been sending people to die at Scaramanga's hands and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. He's been facilitating all this stuff. So he's an evil bastard and deserves to be chained up. But because he's so small, you feel really <laughs> bad for him. He's <laughs> undoubtedly a piece of shit. Like yeah. he's a shit person. But you're like, ah, oh, come on, Bond. Like, like it's for two characters that are very like there's nothing really that should make them be uh they're not heroes in the slightest bit you're like oh this guy is not that bad of a guy he gave him some fried mushrooms and a uh, knickknack you know he did this so it's like we got a bad for him <laughs> and we get the uh, end credit rendition of the theme the, like the 50th rendition of this but this one says uh uh good night good night um no time to fear. James Bond is here. I like that little twist. Yeah, they made a different version. That's uh, yeah, it's 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 better than just playing the the same exact theme over and over again. It's very like triumphant too. It's you know, no need to fear. James Bond is here. You just watched a fucking Bond movie. Da 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 da. And everybody's like, yeah, I did. What's happening to Nick Knack afterward? We don't know. <laughs> like, you know. And that's the end. Do we ever see him again? No, unfortunately, we don't. Yeah, he, just, he, he just ends up in a cell somewhere. There's uh, there's a couple characters that pop up throughout the franchise and all that. Knickknack's not one of them, unfortunately. Although, I mean, if they would have found something with him in the future, I would have been totally down because I love Knickknack. So, so Knickknack's the inspiration of Mini Me, right? Has to be. I don't I know. Was, I was watching that during the fight, and I'm like, oh my god, this has to be the inspiration for Mini Me. He's either the inspiration for it or it's just a coincidence. I don't know if they would have They're, necessarily been like, you know, specifically, let's do a knickknack type thing. But I mean, they have random tasks. So it's like to. they didn't do anything based off of Jaws, if I remember correctly, or like um, some of the other ones. Certainly not like Vargas, you know. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the end of the film. It ends up being, you know, the, we got the whole the end credits are going on and whatever. And I guess we need to recap. Uh, so those seven elements that make up this movie, uh, first things first that we had pretty much talked about already, the, the themes. Um, I'm a big fan of all the music in this. Uh, it's one of my favorite scores from the whole franchise. And like I said before, the man with the golden gun at this point in the series it is the direct middle of all the 11 songs that we've gotten so far. The um, eventual tally, I don't know where that's going to be placed, but yeah, we kind of talked about it. I, I'm, I'm a fan. Calm's not super, super into it. Uh, how are you feeling about it, Rob? I have it, as far as like the main themes, I have it fourth. Uh, Goldfinger, Live and Let Die, Diamonds Are Forever, and Man with the Golden Gun. I really, I thought it was very fun. I liked it. You got it uh, towards the bottom of your list, Callum, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I can't, I, I can't, I'm not going to ever fall in love with it. It's fine for what it is. But out of the ones that are, for me, that have got lyrics, it's the worst one. The, uh, I already mentioned all the, you know, the other variations of it that I'm a big fan of, so I'm not going to drawing on about that a little bit too much um allies 
We got Money Penny, we got M, we got Q, we got Hip, we've got Hip's nieces, and we've got JW Pepper. Now let's get the obvious one out of the way. JW Pepper sucks. <laughs> mm. I thought he was yeah. he was fun. I don't want to see him again, but like I enjoyed the immediate follow up. What would you say if I said he pops up again? I'd be very shocked because you're lying. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't. That's <laughs> the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could have done without him. Yeah, uh, I I'm not a thing a uh, big fan of um, Hip and his nieces in the grand scheme of things. Uh, they're like they're better than some. Like uh, I've got Hip uh, ranked higher than Harry Strutter from the last one. Or like Henderson from You Only Live Twice, or Sean from uh, One Imagine Secret Service. But Hip's nieces are like it's just a stupid kung fu gag because they thought kung fu was big at the time. It's fine. I'm not. I'm not bothered by it. Yeah, I, I, I quite like them. I mean, Hip's obviously like incompetent in certain aspects, but I thought that it was like a little fun sequence. I enjoyed it. Love uh, M and Money Penny and Q. Always, like Money Penny is always great, but this one for me, M and Q were just so much fun because Q's just like, well, well, sir, I'll tell you, they are working on that. Then shut up. And <laughs> I, I'm really liking M being just a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, M was a lot of fun. I don't know if you can even class him with an ally with the, uh, the sort of <laughs> things they were saying. But uh, him and Q were great, and Money Penny, she only got one scene, but she made the most of it. On the gadget side of things, we've got the Golden Gun, one of the best in the entire series. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes. Top-notch gadget. Honestly, I thought it was really cool the way they put it together. This is what James Bond films are to me. We got the car plane. <laughs> I'm not really big on the car plane. They've been, they've been worse things. Yeah. We got yeah. the fake nipple. It's a gadget. The nipple is great. It's not a gadget. It's a prospective. Uh, it, Q does it. <laughs> it, it. It's gadget adjacent, Callum. Just because it's kinky doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> there will be plenty more, uh, like, dick joke gadget type things and it's basically uh, like saying that Bond's Japanese disguise from uh, You Only Live Twice is a gadget well that one's <laughs> less efficient <laughs> uh, and we got the I guess I don't know if you would constitute the Solex as a gadget it's not really but it's no. nah. yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing that facilitates a laser essentially it's more the MacGuffin than it is a gadget, but it is kind of a gadgety. But uh, to me, I mean, the thing that sells it is the, it's the title of the damn thing. It's a golden gun. So big thumbs up for gadgets for me as, as far as that goes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. thumbs up. Let's go over to the girls. We've got um, the belly dancer, Saida. For one little scene. She's a fun little character. I like her. Very charming. Yeah, it was a good little scene. It's like one of the only person that's managed to escape um, not, uh, being defiled by Bond at some point. <laughs> the penis, the magic penis. Uh, she got double O two though, so yeah, she got her taste of MI six. And we got a uh, Mary Goodnight and Andrea. Um, we kind of, I guess, already filled us everybody in on our thoughts about that. I uh, Goodnight, not the biggest fan of her character. 
she serves her purpose, but in this long standing tradition of everybody being like, oh, they're they're kind of like James Bond's equal. It's like, well, she's an agent. She's not Bond's equal. You can relax on that. She's one of the dumbest characters <laughs> that's in the uh especially to be like employed by them. Yeah. Charlie's Angel, she was not this no. Like better than Tiffany, but that's not saying much. I I mean I, I kind of like her. I find her endearing in her uh, her innocence and stuff like that. She just wants to be accepted by Bond. And I think I almost dislike Bond more in this movie for, for being dismissive of her than the fact that she is incompetent. So Accepted, is that what we're calling it now? <laughs> <laughs> That's well, what the kids you, are doing those days, yeah. accepting each other in bed. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I, I like her. I think that she was a bit like, I like the fact they leaned into it rather than pretending that she was competent and she's actually proves to be incompetent. But I'm I'm the big standaway for me, I think, is Andrea. I, I think she's great. She was she was great. Uh despite the visual that I had in my head by the end of the movie. <laughs> and she's a, a very um I don't want to say complex character. She's not like ultra complex, but she has she shows a lot of range with the character that she puts in. So I, I think that she was probably She's definitely the better of the two of them. I just, I, I mean, I like like Mary just being there as a, like, a little presence in there as well. We got our villains. We got High Fat, who's just, yeah, just, yeah one of the the rich bankroller type characters. It's the same as Osato in You Only Live Twice or whatever. It's not that, not that special, not that uh, memorable, not bad. It's not, uh, Osato wasn't one of my favorite ones, but I like uh, I like High Fat better than Osato. Uh, High Fat is currently still on the bottom end for me, but like like I like Whisper, for instance, better than High Fat. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's just he's just kind of there as like as a means of connecting. The um the energy crisis storyline to Scaramanga's thing, so he's more he's little more than a plot device really. He did not leave any impression on me. I will forget about him. Now Nick Knack, Nick Knack's top notch. He's the man. <laughs> he's great. Nick Nick Knack was so much fun, and it makes me go, God, Mini Me might have been funnier if you had given him speaking parts. It's just a it's just a point of like. He's that he, like when you when you see him initially in the movie and he's just like this midget that comes in and you just go, okay, he's there for just the ultimate comedy relief thing. There's other times like we'd said that he's like in the previous Bond movie, he's like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we put a little person in this scene and stuff like that? And you just feel like it's just gonna be a gimmick. He owns pretty much so many of the scenes that he's in. Like the fact that he's so good, it doesn't make you forget that he's a small person, but it makes you like he'd, he'd be good at whatever size. He yeah, is uh, currently for henchmen for me uh, a list that I didn't um, do ahead of time. He is currently my fourth. I have uh, Fiona at number one, Odd Job, Red Grant, then Nick Knack, then uh, Byron Samadai, Tihi, yeah, so on and so forth. Tihi was good. <clears throat> Again, some of these henchmen are very fun, but I think Nick Knack is going to stay with me. If you know what, uh, if they would have really had Mini Me in mind with that, wouldn't they have gone with Paddywhack? 
for his name? Because they well, did like the. That's where, he ends, that's where he ends up at the end of the movie because obviously he's, like, he's trapped in. As Austin gives many dogs bones. <laughs> and of course, their main villain, Francisco Scaramanga, the man with the golden gun. Uh, Austin. So good. He just ranks below Blofeld for me. Blofeld from the Thunderball and from Rush with Love. Like the good Blofeld, not the, uh, not the other Blofeld. Yeah, he's um he's definitely way out there for me. I've got him in terms of my rank to the villains. I'd have him second underneath Kananga. He's he's first for me, and Goldfinger was gonna was top notch up until this point. He was a great villain. Almost made me like so midway through this movie when they're doing the boat chase, I'm going, I don't know, man, I wanna get back to Spectre. I don't like these side characters. And by the end of his interactions with Bond, I'm just like, I want to see more of him. It's almost like the Riddler, right? Like, okay, obviously, if I get to watch a Batman anything, I want it to be about the Joker. But then you'll watch like a Mr. Freeze or a Riddler and you're like, yeah, but these guys are just as good and they tell just as good stories. He told just as good of a story and was just as good of a villain. And that's why I have him up first. For my money, we don't get another really good villain until License to Kill. That's depressing. Why do you... (laughs) (laughs) You keep doing this thing where you're just like, it's not getting any better. I mean, there's there's good elements to some of the other ones. I don't like the next villain pretty much at all. Um, I like the one after that a little bit. I don't at all like the one after that. Then the other ones I'm not a big fan of. Uh, then, then you get Christopher Walken, which is like, he's fucking great just cause he's Christopher Walken, you know, but, um, Scaramanga is one of those characters that throughout the whole series, I really wish that they could kind of like people, some people write off the man with the golden gun as being like, this is just a silly sort of whatever. And I'm like, you know what? You had something with Scaramanga here. I think you should revisit that a little bit more if, if that's the case, if you think it's just like this goofy, you know, the slide whistle makes up the theme uh, or the whole film kind of a thing. Uh, Action and humor though. Let's talk about those Um, better than some of the other ones. I think, I think this is one of the easiest ones to just sit through and watch for the action for me. I think thus far in terms of just replay value, it's probably the top just in terms of like, it's an entertaining film overall uh the action was pretty good i enjoyed uh the the fight with the sumo just (laughs) because that was cheeky but like it just struck me as fun i did not mean it when i said (laughs) (laughs) um yeah humor you got scenes like the fight with the sumo and then you had the final fight with knickknack i was laughing throughout a lot of this film and even though we all agree he shouldn't come back, JW was part of that because she's just like, hey, there's a Democrat. <laughs> there's Democrats, me, Bill. <laughs> Scaramanga, uh, number two for you, you said? Uh, underneath Kananga, Callum? Yeah, he's currently at number two for me under Kananga. And um, uh, the action, though, you, you were not super into the the death of him? No, I, I think that his death, and that's the reason why I have him under Kananga, is I think that his death was a bit 
underwhelming. Maybe it just needed to be shot slightly differently or something like that. I know I understand the way that you're saying it, and it makes me feel like, okay, I understood it now, but it's just a case of I feel like it needed to be a bit more built up almost. It just comes out of nowhere, and the fact that there's still like 15 minutes of the movie left after that as well it just feels like eh, maybe it happened a bit too early. But so, some of the actions, a big hit for me. So he actually looks like he gets more involved in a lot of the stuff. I think some of the fight scenes are a bit ridiculous. The sumo wrestling one, the fight with um, the uh, the two karate guys, even though that one kick is hilarious. The other one is a bit, I, I don't think he, the other one's a bit too over the top. Um, Yeah, and there's the, the boat scene is a bit ridiculous. The car chase scene is, is, is fun, especially for that stunt at the end of it. Um, the humour, I like the fact that for the most part, this humour is a bit more understated. And when it does go big, it hits it in like small bursts. The only real negative for me on the humour front is JW. Just because I think it's 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 doing a joke which I didn't enjoy too much in the first movie and just replaying it for the second one. And I don't really, I don't think it was something that needed to be retreaded. But overall, I like the fact that the humour was a bit more subtle on this one than it was in the previous movie. What about you, Rob? What about the humour on your end? I thought, like I said, I was laughing the whole way through by the end of the final fight scene alone had me in stitches. So humor was very high. I think Bond's wit shined very strongly in this film. And I actually really liked it. As far as humor goes, it was much better than the last film, which was more just like, I can't believe we're watching this, where this is like, all right, he's bringing his own flavor to Bond. I love the humor in this movie. I I still can watch it and laugh. I still think that some of the lines are so good. Some of them, you know, were like vindictive lines like that. You know, uh, those bullets are very expensive line. It's just, it makes me crack up. It's like, you dick, you know. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I think the humor is a major, major plus. And overall, the movie itself, one of my favorites. Yep, I, I have it high up. I think it's a really good movie. This film is currently ranked at, I believe, number three for me. Yep. Yeah. Number three for all of us. <laughs> yep. This is a really good film. And this is, even though I have From Rush With Love and Goldfinger above it right now, this easily can be watched again. I was I was worried, obviously, because I had no contest going into it. I was worried that... Like living that die was going to be the best we were going to get from more, and so I was waiting just to put everyone else down. And then this one pops up, and I was just I was surprised with how much I just thought, yeah, this just fits as a Bond movie with more doing it, and it works really well. And now I'm more in my head about this going forward. About now, I'm pretty convinced that it's going to go down. Yeah, this, this is about as good as it gets. I'm <laughs> because there's a certain. there's a because there's a good three year gap for the next movie, and. <laughs> Like that, that, I think by that point we're going to be starting seeing like more and like going. Okay, so Moore's, Moore's dad is now playing the uh, character. <laughs> he ages a lot going into the next film. He ages a little bit more going into Moonraker, and then he ages considerably into Free Your Eyes Only. And then by the time you get to View to a Kill, you're like, all right, it's a grandfather because he's he's literally 59 in that movie. So you're just like the 60 year old Bond is not what Bond should be, but. 
it's funny how this is uh, shaping up as far as like the rankings go because there's there's some wide variety of some things like uh on her majesty's secret service is like it's the number one for callum it's the second worst for me uh and it's in the middle for rob so it's like uh service balances out to like a full spectrum you got like uh all of us have goldfinger in our top four i've got it either number one or number two rob's got it number one and callum's got it four so it's like the cutoff point of the middle range is we we don't agree with any of the middle range one, which is uh Thunderball for me, service for Rob, and Live and Let Die for Callum. Whereas we all have You Only Live Twice in that bottom half. We all have Diamonds Are Forever in that bottom half, and we all have Doctor No in that bottom half. The only difference is like that other movie, because that's a wide range too. Like uh as Callum has on Her Majesty's Secret Service at number one. He has From Russia With Love, third to last. I've got Service, second to last, and From Russia With Love is either number one or number two. We definitely, there's a there's a disconnect between OHMSS and From Russia With Love between Callum and I. And then there's, Rob is much lower on Live and Let Die than we are. Because I've got only one spot above where Callum has it. Rob's got it as his number two worst. Yep. So that's interesting. Like we're different people, so. Yeah, it's just like uh, it, you know. Well, hold on, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, you've watched these films many times. You got to choose between Russia and Goldfinger. The reason I haven't yet is because I know things are going above and below. So fair enough. Like I know, for instance, not to spoil anything, Golden Eyes going above both of them. So then it becomes a little bit more of like, all right, so then where does the Living Daylights go? Does that go above From Russia With Love or does it go from Goldfinger? And then that's going to be the type of thing where I'm going to go, it's above both of them, but which one would it be more above? And then that's going to settle it. Kind of, It's really, it's all up to uh, Living Daylights is going to be the thing that's the breaker for those two, which sounds kind of weird because it's completely unrelated. <laughs> but like, uh, even when we get like Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, Octopussy, all them, like they're going to be all all over the place. But if I had to pick right now, I probably would pick Goldfinger and then From Russia with Love, because in the grand scheme of things, I'd rather watch Goldfinger. All right. So that's yeah, uh, that's the man with the golden gun. Uh. Shaken, not stirred. Where are you landing? Obviously, <laughs> we pretty much I mean, know, but yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Well, I feel pretty sure it's pretty all, all saying is going to be shaken. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And hopefully, it's shaken for you guys. Hopefully, you enjoyed uh, listening to us do our breakdown here and hopefully, you watch the movie ahead of time. And if, by the way, if you're listening to our stuff first before watching the movie, I don't think you necessarily should, but maybe you will. I don't know, maybe it's more fun that way. Um, either way, I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as uh. I am and everything. Um, before we say goodbye, let's uh, round things out a little bit here with some other information for you. Of course, I mentioned some of the things before about the Patreon, following us on Facebook and Twitter, and checking out what we've got coming up going for not just the rest of this franchise, but everything else that's happening. One of those things we might be doing, I might have already done, because this is, uh, I don't know when we're posting this, this is probably the end of March, early April when this is coming out, but 
There's probably going to be a whole lot of other things in the meantime. There's probably going to be a tier list uh, of something with the, the Pokemon franchise. There's going to be some stuff with some other movie reviews. Hopefully, at the time that this is coming out, movies are out. <laughs> and you'll see some other things surrounding around the man with the golden gun. You know, like there's that uh, that Mortal Kombat movie that's coming out in April. And, you know, you might be staying tuned for some kind of review point on that. And any of the other stuff that's Godzilla happening. Godzilla, yeah, that one's coming out sometime pretty soon. So stay tuned for anything. Go back and check out anything that's already been posted, so on and so forth with that. If you're subscribed to the channel and you're following us, you should be aware of when things get uploaded. But there's stuff on that spectrum, and there's stuff on the pro wrestling stuff that you can find on smartoutmoment.com. There's plenty of podcasts. There's plenty of articles. If you're into pro wrestling, go to that website, follow it, subscribe, head up to Patreon, do all the same stuff that you would be doing for fanboys and help us grow. These guys do things that are on the pro wrestling spectrum as well on top of that. So uh, one of them is um, a podcast that is over at this point for sure. Uh, but you can go back and check it out called the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast. And um, there's other things happening in that kind of realm. Want to fill us in on anything with that, Callum? So, I can only really promote the Paul Heyman's Batman podcast at this point. Obviously, it's been well finished at this point over on the Smart Cat Moment channel, but there are about, there's a good 30, nearly 40 episodes for you to check out as well. And if you're a part of the Patreon at Smart Cat Moment at the $10 tier or above, there's also some additional uh, pay-per-view reviews that we've done as well. So you can check all those ones out. And yeah, so I can't really say what else is in the pipeline. There are plans to do more with myself and Rob, some more retro content and things like that, but there's nothing nothing set in stone as of yet. And probably won't pro I probably won't promote them until you're listening to this one and it started like three weeks ago. <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of the way it works at this point in time. But uh, for context yeah, it's just, March first when we're recording this for anybody who wants to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh we'll figure something out and then we'll definitely be promoting it heavily. Probably by the time that we're like towards the um the middle back end of these movies we'll probably start be able to stop promoting stuff again but until then just check out smartcatmoment.com and all the great articles in there go back in the archives listen to uh paul Heyman's smackdown podcast listen to 2001 a wrestling odyssey and yeah follow me on twitter at wigmeister 14 yeah and if you're really into the pro wrestling side of things then you're probably seeing far too much of me check out everything i'm doing over at fightful.com everything i'm doing over at wrestlezone.com uh maybe twitch at this point i don't know when this drops so i'm sure there'll be more about that on other platforms in the future so stay tuned to all those and yeah follow me on twitter at dude Police. follow me at tony mango and at a mango tree and on the smart moment of fanboys anonymous stuff and stay tuned for everything that's happening here because we will bring you plenty more episodes of this. We still have a lot of movies to go down nine episodes deep, but we've got, you know, a whole another almost 20 <laughs> to go. Um, so yeah, hit the like button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. If you haven't done that already. And this podcast will return with the spy who loved me. <laughs>